Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's the 25th of November of 2020. I'm Nick, here with Chris. That's me. It's 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 a Chris, and it's a Nick. Mm-hmm. Contrary to popular belief. Yes. <laughs> I've, he- I've heard some rumors out there. Multiple yeah. <laughs> sources. It's not just you twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. <laughs> there are, in fact, two of us. And it keeps happening. But anyway. Um, so it's uh, the last Wednesday before the end of November, which means that it is also the uh, day before Thanksgiving, uh, mm-hmm. which is only really relevant in the United States, I think. Uh I, I'm sure that this isn't going to affect anyone. It's already too late, but um, I encourage you all to not travel to see family this year, please. But if you've already traveled, I'm sure you're already there. It's too late for me to change your mind, but I felt obli- obligated to say it. So, You doing anything uh, weird for Thanksgiving this year, man? Uh, my sister lives nearby, so we, we, we're just going to see her and hang out there, and that's pretty much it. So, uh, And then I found out I have to work Black Friday, so cool. uh, I'll be going into quarantine after that, because cool. I just assume I'm going to catch COVID. <laughs> if I'm going to, that's going to be the time it's going to happen, so. Yeah, God, I can't. That didn't even occur to me. But yeah, like even more more than just like everyone flying around the country to spread it around everywhere. Then yeah, everyone po- dog piling into a store. Jeez, that's that. It, the thing is that so it's the knowledge of like well, some people aren't going to do it, but the people who are are also one hundred percent going to be the people who don't follow like guidelines or anything like that. It's all so. fake. Come on, I'm going to. Spray my saliva in your face because it's so fake. Yeah. So, um, I've got to do grocery shopping Friday morning, but that's probably not going to be any different. But that shouldn't be too bad. Um, Unless grocery stores have crazy deals where they're like, buy this can of flour for thirty cents instead of seventy nine cents, and people are just like beating each other over the head to get to it. Ah! Um. So, yeah, I, I guess that just a blanket statement to you all. I hope that you are all able to do something in order to celebrate with the people that matter to you. Uh, but please try to do so safely. I personally mm-hmm. am uh, setting up uh, a discord call with um, my immediate family. Um, awesome. We're just going to have kind of like a virtual uh, dinner together, basically. Um, I mean, they only live like 30 minutes away from me, but I, but I was like. No, (laughs) as I haven't seen them this entire time. So it's like that would be a bad first point of contact. Be like, hey, it's nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah. Nah, I get that. But hopefully things are going to be getting better, um, which is kind of a major theme of the manga we're talking about uh, this week, which is Ginkaku Picasso. This is an odd... uh, I need to series. I, I need to preface this by saying I recognize uh fully and completely ahead of time uh that uh Picasso is not Italian. I know right. firmly he's Spanish. I went to his museum when I was in Spain, but I will not be able to say it without being like Picasso like I don't know why it's the cadence is perfect it's for the, the most Italian, Italian like... name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
everybody, it's me, Mario Picasso. <laughs> was not. Because <laughs> if you remember, his first name was Pablo, then it's like, yeah, well, I guess it it's a lot easier, Pablo. but. But no, it's like Picasso. It is the most Italian name. Like, if I do, you know. Every time I was like reading it, and then suddenly the characters start having Italian accents. And <laughs> I don't want to hang out with the people. I just want to sit in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no. Me, mom. Mama. My arm is melting. <laughs> like a what? big pool of a gabagool. Dude, that, that Picasso would have never made any friends. <laughs> Either that or he would have made friends immediately. Yeah. They would just be like, oh, that Picasso, he's so eccentric and Italian. <laughs> he's so foreign. I gotta, I gotta hang out with him. It's always talking to his dead friend. Isn't that charming? Yeah. <laughs> so this is an odd, an odd series that ran in Jump Square uh, in 2009 to 2010. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a in series, but it is a little bit odd. But if it had not been a Jump Square series, I'm sure it would have been way fucking weirder uh, because of the subject matter and the stuff that happens in it. So our main character is called Picasso. His name isn't actually Picasso. His name is Hikari. But he uh, like wrote his name strangely one day in a way that made his name basically look like Picasso. And also he's constantly drawing all the time. Uh, because he's an artist. So someone called his friend Chiaki called him Picasso. Stuck with him since. Uh, he is this uh, very kind of introverted sort of person. Uh, just cares not- for nothing except just drawing and getting better at drawing. Uh, and he has only one friend at the start of the series. Which is this girl named Chiaki. Who is the only one who's really able to tolerate his attitude. And the only one who is sober enough to stick by him when he's just trying to go off by himself and draw. Uh, and so they, they go to the down by this one river, uh, because Picasso set up this club, which basically just would allow him to go sit out, sit outside and draw things that he sees without anyone bothering him. He set that up as a club and she's the only other member. And she just kind of sits there and hangs out with him. Uh, and in a, in a turn of events that, the manga never really pauses to examine how batshit insane <laughs> it is. A freak flyover helicopter crashes on them. You really, it really does come out of nowhere and is never addressed by anyone really to be like, that was fucking bananas, right? Like a helicopter just landed on two kids. So. Chiaki dies basically instantly. Uh, paramedics are able to save Picasso, and he suffers like no permanent physical injuries from it. Like he's almost he's virtually unscathed. Uh, by so by some freak occurrence, this helicopter lands on these two kids. One of them dies. The other one is almost completely unharmed. Uh, but what happens? At, uh, what happened just before that is. Chiaki and Picasso were having one of those conversations that, of course, it's it's a big thing in, in manga where, like, the last conversation you have with someone happens to also be the most meaningful conversation you've ever had with them. And it's going to define what you do in the series after they die. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so Chiaki basically said, hey, we should continue the Riverside Club even after we graduate. Let's keep on hanging out together and stuff like that. And she also um, 
like draws something on a piece of paper and sticks it in Picasso's blazer pocket and is like, just look because she had challenged him to draw her heart basically. And he's like, I can't draw something that I can't see. And, and she's like, isn't that part of being an artist? No, which she makes a goddamn good point. He's at like, the what same, kind of, what kind of artist are you? But at the same time, imagine that weird ass request, like draw my heart. Like, I don't know, bitch. That's kind of personal. It sounds fucking complicated, and there's no way it can go that you won't be angry in some. Like, there's no, there's nothing I'm gonna draw that you're not gonna feel offended by. Why aren't the bunnies purple? <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, I drew a bunch of trees because you like hanging out in the forest. She's like, oh, because I'm just boring, huh? I just go to the forest all the time. Like, bitch, I don't know what you want. And a lot of people do treat Picasso that way, just like <laughs> assuming the worst of him. But anyway, uh, she draws something and basically sticks it by Picasso's heart uh, and tells him to look at it later. The helicopter accident ha- occurs. She dies. He forgets all about it. But then he hears something and he like reaches into his blazer pocket and he pulls out this tiny cheruby sort of looking uh version of Chiaki Mm. who only he can see basically she's like haunting him and also there is this rot that appears on his arm and Chiaki says what happened was when I died I prayed that you would be saved and that you wouldn't be alone and uh so in order for this rot to not happen because you're basically dead uh and so in order for you to not rot away and pass on to the next life you have to help people. It's a hundred good deeds of, of, of Eddie of, McDowell. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he's why can't to... that show be referenced all the time? It really, it, it, anytime I feel like that needs to be the landmark thing to go to. If there's a series about it, I know my name is Earl is more culturally relevant, but a hundred deeds of Eddie McDowell is so much more close to my heart. <laughs> Oh no, Chris. Whenever people are talking about the golden age of Cartoon Network with the cartoon cartoons and stuff, you know what never gets brought up? Sheep in the Big City. That was a weird goddamn show. Yeah, well, it doesn't get brought up for good reason. It wasn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of bad cartoons people don't bring up. That's true. Whatever happened to whatever happened to Robot Jones, Chris? (laughs) It wasn't very good. (laughs) That's what happened. Um... So he has to do good deeds for people. He has to help them out with their problems. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, as part of this whole wrapped package, he is now able to see whenever people are going through troubling times as like this black aura that surrounds them. And whenever he sees it, he is compelled by this urge to sketch something out and it allows him to draw out their hearts and give them some give him some idea of what their problems are. Um, he's very, very bad at interpreting these. Yes. And what inevitably happens is the second stage of this occurs where he ends up diving into the drawing that he has made, which allows him to dive into their heart Mm -hmm. and help to manipulate that that person in a way that helps them to work through their problems and come out of it better. Uh, kind of amusingly, 
it, what ha- what everyone else sees when Picasso does this is he slams his head into his sketch somehow and then just falls unconscious until the problem is solved and then he wakes up. So like it's a recurring thing where people are just like, oh, he passed out again and they take him to the nurse's office. To the point where the nurse is like, you didn't bump your head into your notebook again. Dude. Like you need to stop doing that. You're just like, what What do they think his notebook is made out of? Or is this boy's like skull just like paper thin? The unspoken for the most part thing that is going on is I think that everyone basically concludes that he's going through some stuff because of the trauma of the accident, which we'll talk about that in a bit, but for something that has such a huge, it's, it's the whole setup of the series. It's something that doesn't really get a whole lot of attention uh, until the very end. But anyway, um, so that's, the setup and it's a very episodic series every every time that he helps out someone by diving into this drawing he makes of their heart uh usually the that whole thing is resolved in one chapter sometimes it takes two chapters you know they get they get longer as they go on like they'll start taking up one one or two but the whole thing's only like three volumes long so it's a pretty short series um i i want to say this off the front um, so I, I, I will say that I do enjoy this series. Um, I will say the quality. So, uh, it's almost a lot of these are very short stories in a way kind of connected to each other by Picasso himself and that sort of narrative of helping people and characters do continue to show up throughout the story. Uh, but like each individual story generally involves a new character and having to help them almost exclusively throughout. I think there's only one character who ever repeats. Um, mm-hmm. The start, the the starting stories are significantly worse than the later, <laughs> the latter stories. Like the first four yes. are something where you're like, I mean, I guess <laughs> like if you kind of squint, <laughs> you're like, I guess this all added up. <laughs> this doesn't feel satisfying at all. Why did you want to kill someone? Because my dad won't pay for me to go to college. Well, what's the real problem? Oh, he doesn't actually have the money. Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> so like for context. Yeah, that's the first story. And, and the way it always starts is Picasso draws this image of this person's heart or what he saw in this vision. And everything is meant to be interpreted through that image. And these are very imposing images. Like this one's a giant wall of money and this imposing figure in the sky clutching a bag and this haggard, weathered bird. And you, you stand, you're like, what is this all about? And admittedly, I'm actually kind of glad it wasn't just the most simple story of like he has a bad relationship with his dad and also kind of fits into like the larger story of like everyone can be good people, which kind of is the thesis of the story. Um, So you're wondering, like, what do all these things mean? And they dig into it. You find I I can't remember any character from this story's name, unfortunately. Um, But uh, Sugira, I think was his name. Sugira. Sugira. Uh, you find out he's and, uh, he's Akane's the, and Akane is the main girl who yeah. sticks around them too. So like you find out he is starting to spy real hard. Like they they confront him and he kind of pushes it off. Like no no it's nothing as crazy as that. But he's spiraling far enough that he's willing to kill a man. And you're like what is the crux of all of this? And he's like my dad won't pay for college. And then they and then Picasso's just like but wait I saw a carousel in your dream that means your father loves you and actually <laughs> I've confronted him and he says he actually has always loved you and he's just been ashamed because he doesn't have the money and you're like well that's like a 
clean and easy way to wrap it up, but this doesn't really feel satisfying for all like the pompous buildup of the imagery and everything like that. There's also a really weird one. Like the second one is not as no. The second one's the worst. Really weird. The second one is the fucking. Why it's the, won't she eat vegetables? Cause her bunny dies. She's a. The whole fucking thing is a picture of a baby with a rabbit full of holes, and the whole thing's like, oh, Akane is 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 this this model at our school, and she she's fainting suddenly, and it could have been this narrative on like what the entertainment industry often drives people to do through overwork and exhaustion uh, uh, you as a product versus you as a person that's not it at all they're like she doesn't eat vegetables because when she was a baby her rabbit died and fucking five-month-old baby akane was like vegetables bad forever and i'm like that fucking baby didn't have any goddamn permeance that baby doesn't remember shit about this fucking rabbit i i remember when my rabbit died so i hate vegetables <laughs> That was the one I was like, alright, you, you can eat a big fucking rotten dick if you're gonna try to sell me on this shit. <laughs> this fucking after baby point, memory. After that point, things tend to get yes. more in the realm of like the problems you expect high schoolers to encounter. Mm -hmm. Some of them are kind of lame, but they're lame in that oh, you're just a teenager and you think that this matters kind of way. Yeah. So when I kind of was like, all right, if I go back into that mindset, I can see why this would have kind of upended their mindset and why they would be going through things. Akane's sister, for example, her big thing that she is going through is that she has, because Akane is like, you know, this 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 glamour model and she's this, the, the one that kind of feels this inferiority complex and so she kind of throws herself into being this alternative girl because she discovers this celebrity who's had who is this singer who does all these dark lyrics and stuff like that she models her entire appearance after her and when she's going through dark times she's basically only speaking in lyrics from this woman's songs but the reason that she's going through hard times is because she happened to read a women's magazine interview with that singer where it turns out that whole thing was just like her image. That's not who she really is. She's actually a very normal person who's happy with her life and like with starting a family and stuff like that. And so Kanda's like, no, how can this be? I thought that she was so different. And that's what throws her out of whack and stuff. And so it's like it, you can look at it from one perspective and think, fucking get over it. Mm -hmm. But you can look at it from another and think, she's like 15 years old. And so everything that yeah. she's modeled this part of her life after has only been thrown in out of whack. And it's a relatable kind of thing, too, which is my idol is not who I thought that they actually were. But, honey, just be glad that that interview was about... What a nice and yeah. level-headed person she is. It must, be, it must be so awful to find out someone you idolized as a kid and a teenager grew up to be a better person than you thought. <laughs> it turns out she doesn't step on the skulls of her enemies. What the fuck? Turns out she hasn't said the N-word several times in the past. Like, oh, man. Um, turns out she didn't cuck her best friend and <laughs> complain about getting too gassy from fish. This is specifically Hulk Hogan now I'm referring to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you talking There are some really weird ones that happen uh, mm -hmm. even in the later ones. Like, there's 
one where like a woman stops a, a girl stops liking Disney World because she didn't get to be like in the Disney Idol group, basically. Yeah. Which was like a little weird. But that's about dreams, you know, being Be, broken and yeah. stuff like that. Um, there's one about a guy who basically has a girlfriend in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one's a that that one's pretty rough. <laughs> that one's. Oh boy, that's awkward. <laughs> and like the length that he goes to is just like because it's not that he just makes up a girl. He finds a real girl's blog online and acts like the stuff that she's writing about is stuff that happened to his real life girlfriend. And it's like, Oh <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable. And uh, his friend who is lied to is just like, so I looked up this blog. <laughs> and I found this picture. You show me of your girlfriend. <laughs> but over the course of the series, Picasso dives into some stuff. Chiaki is usually diving in there with him. And honestly, half the time the series forgets that Chiaki exists. But the other half of the time, Chiaki does literally all the work while Picasso just stands there and does nothing <laughs> after he's drawn the image and gone in there. They solve some people's problems. Uh, and then. Uh, that's kind of it until yeah. like, the end of the series. Um when basically it kind of makes you wonder how much of it was real while never actually questioning if any of it was real. Um, I, I will say, so with the setup that it had uh, from the beginning of, okay, this guy's best friend has died in a tragic accident that also involved him. Uh, and he has this experience where only he can see these things and he's diving into people's minds in order to train them and stuff like that. So I'm like, is this like a Jacob Slider thing? Is he like hallucinating all of this just yeah. before he dies? Or is this all a coping mechanism? Is he just like making all this stuff up in his head? And the answer is not, definitely not the first one. But maybe, maybe the second one. But also he did definitely go inside people's minds yes. and fix their problems. Yeah, it's it, it. There tries to be a little bit of a vagueness to it, but I I think there's too much notion there to suggest everything actually happened. And also, the entire point of the story is that all these people are still his friends, and mm -hmm. that you could still make friends and and build this kind of community around you. So the idea that he wouldn't have touched all these people's lives in their way kind of seems to suggest that he had to have, or else yeah. You'd be like, so he just, it screamed randomly, incomprehensibly for the past, like, two months, and it still attained all these friendships the same way. Um, but no, it, I mean, it is definitely a true thing, too, that he doesn't actually fix most of the people. Like, there's two that he outright does, like, nothing for whatsoever. Um, but, you know, it's a still kind of a charming story to all of it. And I, I, I do like that the cast kind of sticks together. I mean, it's ultimately mm -hmm. the main two characters, but especially when they get to the one guy at the end, Oh God, I want to say his name's Yato. Um, yeah. the Ashura guy that one has pretty much every character show up at some point during that story. And that I think helped to make that one of maybe my favorite of all of them. Um, and, and I, I think so many of them are really, really good stories. Um, as you said, it, it's a lot of, it can be kind of like, 
over-exaggerated stuff that only a teenager would care about. But the, the, the manga uses great imagery to create that tension regardless. You know, the idea of two friends who have, you know, kind of a one-sided romance between them that's starting to not only threaten to tear apart their friendship, but also push the one member into it, into basically making a very bad mistake rebound Mm -hmm. is emblematic of a character drowning in a raging ocean. And that sort of stuff captures the tone they're going for in a, a very profound and impactful way where you're like, all right, you know, this is something that probably only 17-year-olds are really going to be... Well, they, 17-year-olds really should be the only ones dealing they with it. Be, they should be. They should be. But it's still one of those things where, like, because of all the tension drawn to Picasso in a situation that he and uh, uh, Chikasi? Chiaki? What's her name? They Chiaki mean? is the girl who Chiaki. does, yes. Yeah, that he and Chika- Chiaki are in help to really sell all of them so i i think those are are, are really good ways to mm-hmm. to get that narrative across so should we talk about the um the like the story that like <laughs> i will very... i'll mention one other character before i guess we get to the end no not that one the i'm talking about the trans character oh yeah yeah okay that's what i was gonna say yeah yes. there's What felt to me like a pretty respectful trans character storyline, a a trans woman who is dealing with a lot of issues and her mental prowess is like this, this suit of armor fighting against a legion. And there's a lot of Joan of Arc uh, references to it. And that is ultimately what the character comes to be known by. And uh, is one of the better stories in it, too. Yeah. I will say this, though. Uh, you will have to get used. I do not think it is malicious, but the story does, and, and particularly the manga itself, does dead name her and misgender her in like all supplementary stuff beyond that. I don't think it's malicious, but it is a really, really bad misstep after what was otherwise a, a very, you know... Uh, welcoming and embracing kind of story because i i mean i don't know if like it's such a happy fucking ending that like the entire class is there at the end to be like well and you're just like wow this is fucking great and then like you open the next chapter thing and it's like so and so you're like oh man i don't want that's that's not not their name that's that's not her name (laughs) i don't why let's don't use that like i did appreciate the general like the way that character is treated uh, going forward with them, but from that point, and it did kind of seem to be, I think, partially um, deliberate that like the girls seem to get it more than the guys do, because the guys are like, don't they realize that they're that she's a dude, and it, and the girls are just like, hey, let's go to the bathroom together and hang out. Oh, you're so pretty. Hey, are there any boys you like and stuff like that? They're just they just wholeheartedly embrace uh, who she is, and the guys are kind of like nice to her. But they clearly don't get it. Like, and so it does kind of come across like there's the best of intents there. And it is for a, for a series that was written at the end of the two of the 20 aughts in Japan, very sympathetic and I think very positive story about a trans character because there's so many characters out there where it's just like they can be like an ultimately sympathetic character, but there's like a lot of jokes about them, about how, you know, they make like yeah. 
people the, uncomfortable and that's like the point so th- there's still a little bit of that there's there there's there, there's three of that there's still a little bit of that but there's stuff that i do appreciate i appreciate that is it i always forget based off of the fucking because we've always heard it as joan of arc if it's joan or gene it's i believe it's jean jean yeah so like jean is suggested to a to have a crush crush on picasso and at no yes. point is that ever like made a joke or no. considered to be anything that would be weird or anything like that. So I, I do appreciate that they they present that out there and and, and depending on some ways you can interpret it, uh, she's the only character remaining at the end who probably still has a crush on him that's still alive. So you know maybe that goes out well for their futures. But um, I think that Akane still has a crush on him, but she just yeah. kind of like, it's just like, oh, I guess he was in love with that dead girl, and I'm not going to compete with that. <laughs> I, I think she's also starting to realize she was uh, manipulated a little bit. Not not yeah, intentionally. Huh, I guess I guess that makes sense why I suddenly thought, had the hots for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I appreciate that. But, yeah, there, there, there are some missteps. So, you know, fair warning on that. Um, and I think that that's kind of like ultimately how I feel about the series in general, which is mostly positive, Mm -hmm. but take recognition of the fact that it's not a perfect series and it kind of wears the imperfections on its sleeve. As you're going through it, you're kind of like, "Mm, this could have been a little bit better. If it had kind of really gone a little bit further, it could have been better. If it had focused on certain details more, it could have been better. Um, But for a simple like story about, you know, Everything is resolved by the by by the time the credits roll, twenty four minutes in, kind of series. It is ultimately positive. So, then the, the series reaches its conclusion, and, um, so Picasso draws his own heart basically and dives into that, mm-hmm. and it's very powerful at points because ultimately what happens is he has to re-experience the moments of his near death because he's been, you know, avoiding the fact that Chiaki's gone. Like there's this little angel girl that's been falling around. Like that's kind of like the last remnants of her and she can't stick around forever. And, so he has to re-experience the moments of the moment of her death in order to move beyond it. And I think that that is a very powerful thing. And I think that, and like certain parts of it where he's like, cause he basically like his, in his vision, he is literally inside his own head and peering out through his own eye hole, a tiny version of himself. Uh, and so he's looking over at her, her corpse when he's being attended to by paramedics and stuff. And that's like heartbreaking when he's just like, no, I don't want to see this. I don't want to deal with this. And he's just so upset about it still. Um, I do really wish, however, that there had been more attention paid to the fact that he was clearly in denial and in his grief for her prior to that moment, because the fact that he has a little angel Chiaki following him around and stuff means that he never has to address that. And that's never like the point of her being there. Like she's just kind of just there too. Yes. A lot of the time. It's, it's generally cause when you look at it, you're like, all right, 
obviously from our reader's perspective, we're following Picasso's kind of vision of this. So we see all these interactions. So, you know, we get to see their silliness. But you also can comprehend the fact that there is an outside world that does not see what they're seeing. And to them, it's all treated as a joke. Like, to, as you said, to them, they're probably all very sympathetic about this poor kid who was involved in, in an absurdly freak accident and lost the only person he cared about. So they're all kind of very accommodating with it. But as the reader, generally, all these situations are kind of dealt with comedically. That mm-hmm. would ultimately be a situation where he's just sitting there holding up this piece of paper being like, not now, Chiaki, I have things to do and something like that. And you're just like, oh, the story's kind of dark and sad when i think about it that way so i won't um and i I, so it is kind of interesting too that the end and the gut punch that chiaki is just dead there is no like happy ending beyond that for her i mean there's the happiness of like oh picasso has made all these friends so you know you know she can kind of rest easy uh is is a nice one but throughout the story, everyone gets about uh, as a 100% happy ending as humanly possible. Uh, pretty much no relationship that's described is ever toxic and has to have somebody lose something. Um, several times, parents are the cause of these issues, and those are always dealt with. Uh, the main guy is still friends with his father, Yuta. Uh, Yudo is you know, able to make amends with his mother. Everyone kind of comes away in as happy a yeah. place as possible. Like as mentioned, like the entire yeah, the girl school. who the girl whose dream was shattered because she was, you know, rejected at the audition. She's like, I'm going to try again. And yeah. that's, and she just kind of, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice that she picks herself up and stuff, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's just like, no one has to deal with anything rough outside mm-hmm. of their intended story until you get to the end. And it's like, no, she's dead. She's just dead. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with the fact she's dead. And I kind of appreciate it because it does really make that realization hit harder. And there's a sense of dread as you get further and further along. You're like, I know she's dead, but I really like Chiaki a lot. And I really wish she could <laughs> like, she could come back or something. Um, but you do see but the whole message. Yeah, so. The whole message being that she's gone, but Picasso has this whole new river Riverside friend club to hang out with now. Yeah, because despite the fact that he's a weirdo who was hallucinating conversations with this little girl and he somehow did a form of brainwashing, technically. (laughs) um, That's actually also one of my favorite scenes, because like the big crux is like eventually his his one friend confronts him on it. And because, yeah, and I'm just not going to try to pronounce it. I'm just going to call him friend. and You know who I'm talking about. Um (laughs) confronts him on it and this is like the start of the final like chapter basically and picasso is like all right you know what i just had to come clean to him and he's like look my body's rotting and we see from his perspective that his friend does not see that that's your like the big clue of like okay this is on picasso's head and he eventually is just like yeah i know all these things because i've been going into memories and his friends rightfully like initially like that's fucked up like i know you're not intending it to but that is really fucked up. They're just yeah, just you ins- literally went inside my brain, saw my private thoughts and then messed around with it. Like- and and in his particular thoughts, he knows that Picasso saw him 
very close to considering the murder of an innocent man just to get back at his father. So there's so he, much. I mean, Picasso saw him having sex with the girl. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're just like, he saw that memory. Yeah. It's it's definitely like a real rough kind of like, OK, I get why he's angry. And they do. They, they piece it out, you know, very quickly after that. Everyone's like, look, I don't think he's intentionally trying to do this. Everything he's done has been to help us. But I do appreciate that there's a moment of him just being like, I don't know, that's kind of fucked up a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, ultimately everyone kind of concludes like, well, he wasn't like deliberately messing around with us and he did help us out with a lot of bad stuff that we were going through. So it's time that we help him out. And it's this very like everyone goes around looking for him because he's gone missing and uh, they find him at the site of the accident yeah, because they realize, oh, right, that's probably where he went. And ultimately, that's like the thing that saves him is that, you know, he's communicating with this memory or this uh, shadow, I guess, of Chiaki. And she tells him, look, you know, before this accident you didn't have any other friends and now look at all these people who are worried for you and are, who are here for you and that's what kind of brings him out of it and he actually cries over Chiaki for the first time something that he didn't actually do when she died and from there you know the grieving process can actually begin and ultimately he has all these friends now because he's a weirdo and he draws weird things that and he apparently dove inside all their heads and stuff like that. But they 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 like him just the same. Yep. And it's very nice. Uh, and it's a it's a it's a nice little series that is not perfect. And I, I it's weird because like there's potential for this to have been a lot better than it than it was, I feel like. And I'm a little bit bummed that it wasn't better, but. That's just the main criticism I have of it is just like, I liked it, but I wish I liked it a lot more. So. Yeah. I I think I came away a little bit stronger on it. I, I actually, by the end of it, really did enjoy it, especially like by the time the final message kind of came around. I'm not going to lie. It got me a little teary eyed. I, I definitely yeah. was like, you know, it is a very sweet story. And as I said, I, I, I started liking the stories more and more. Pretty much from the second volume on, I felt like they were all pretty strong after that. Maybe like the 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 Disney guy or whatever, Bosney, whatever fucking fake name they gave Disneyland. Yeah. Um, also, kind of weird. Disney uh, is like an objectively great person in that storyline. Yeah. So there's, no, there's no, no confusion over that. <laughs> no complicated backstory to that guy. Uh, but I, I will definitely say as I, I enjoyed the stories more as it went along. I thought it got more cohesive as it went along, and it, it really, I thought, left a strong impact. I don't know if this is going to necessarily be my favorite story ever, um, or anything like that. I don't know if this is going to make my top three of the year. It might, uh, but I did actually look at some of the series that have come out this year, and there actually is some competition for like the best ones this year. We've read some um, good stuff, yeah. But I will say that it is definitely a really enjoyable series, and you can find it on Viz right now. Um, yeah. I don't if know you, if you've got a Viz account, you can read it all for free. Like yep. if you uh, if you've got rather a jump subscription, you can read up all of it. It's it's uh, open to you. Um, I do want to talk about one one last little thing. Okay. 
Uh, it's one of the late developments in the series. I think it is the last story before the conclusion. So it, cause it's the uh, second Sugiura story. Yeah. So, uh, what happens in that is that Sugiura since the beginning of the series basically has had a crush on Akane, who is like the main girl outside of Chiaki because she's the first girl that, uh, Picasso helps. And because of the method that Picasso ends up, uh, messing with her head, um, which was to basically hug her mind avatar and comfort her over the death of her pet bunny from when she was a baby that made her not want to eat vegetables, which is why she's anemic all the time. It's such a fucking it sounds so much dumber when you explain it to you're just like, I mean, sure, I guess. But because of that, because he, you know, was comforting her in that in that physical and affectionate way. That has had like a permanent influence on the way that she perceives him mentally. And so she has a crush on him throughout basically the rest of the story. So Sugura has a crush on her and she doesn't even notice, basically. Um, but so Sugura tries to, you know, go on a date with her and stuff like that. And she rejects him very she Like he tries to kiss her and she smacks him in the face. And like he had given her this blue rose necklace and she was like, if this is what you're expecting from me, then I want, then no, you can take it back. It's like very like, no, no. So he very nearly rebounds onto her sister, <laughs> which is like, oh, because she liked him, but he was clearly just doing it just to get over Akane. And it's like, that would have been a dick move. And that's like the situation they have to resolve, which is just like him not hurting her yeah. by not doing right in that relationship. Um, but, but it, we it, see, go ahead. As I say, even in that is another one of those situations where I'm like, everyone comes out really in the most positive way. Cause like, I feel like in her situation, she had a right to still be ang angry about how far yes. it did get. And she's yes. still like, Nope, thank you for not hurting me. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good sir. And you're like, mm, I don't think that's how that conversation he would go her in the moment. Bedroom. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, but, uh, we end up seeing this memory of that basically explains why Sugira is so drawn to Akane, which is that when they were almost too young to remember, they met each other as kids in this like garden, uh, and they were looking for a blue rose together. And that's why he gave her the blue rose necklace was that he just kind of knew that she would like it, but he didn't remember why. And one of my favorite moments in the entire sequence that happens is after that, that um, he remembers who she is. And so they're like talking on the phone and he brings that up to her and she's like, oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, I thought that was you. Huh. And they don't immediately like, oh, I guess we were meant to be together or anything like that. They're just kind of like, oh, well, I'm glad that I know that now. Uh -huh. And then. Sugira is just like, listen, I know you like Picasso, but I just want to let you know that I do still love you, but I'm not going to do anything about it until you're ready, basically. So it's just this very like it's this very nice way of kind of tying everything together while still leaving it open potentially for the future, but not in any way saying like, oh, yeah, they're destined to be together or anything like that. It's just kind of a way for them to kind of like. They it brings them back together and reestablishes their friendship because they're able to bond over that again. So if like if like that story had been like the standard for the series, I think that this would have been an incredible series overall. 
as it stands, it's good. It's not incredible, yeah. I think. But that was a very fun series to uh, read and talk about. So yep. glad for that. I enjoyed it. Now, we have some other manga to talk about, uh, including one that had a bizarre development in, apparently. Um, yeah. So remember when we shit all over Samurai 8 for like eight months? Um, apparently, Masashi Kishimoto got bored not writing anything. So, oh no! <laughs> I think uh, he might have taken the cancellation of Samurai Eight a little hard, and well, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put all of my explanations from someone else in this series. I, look, I I want to laugh. Part of me feels kind of bad because this is a dude who was like, I'm gonna make a new series. And it fucking just crashed and burned. He's like, I guess I'll just do that one thing everybody liked for the rest of my life. And not to mention that, but also the writer of Boruto um, is apparently out of a job now. So. I'm sure he'll move on to something else. I'm sure, but, but. That's just, that just kind of sucks. Just like, Get out of the seat. Kishimoto Sensei wants it once back in the yeah. captain's chair. Uh, number 52 of Boruto, Baryon Mode. So this is the new super ultra awesome tailed beast mode. This is Naruto's Super Saiyan 2 mode, which um, Jigen is like, why didn't he use this before? And so we get an explanation as to why he didn't use it before, because he's Naruto is all super powerful. And then Kurama... <laughs> explains <laughs> and he says the strangest thing that I would have ever expected an ancient demonic fox spirit from a series about magic ninjas to ever say which is think of it like nuclear fusion <laughs> which is funny in many ways one it implies nuclear fu nuclear fusion is a known thing in the Naruto universe Two, it implies Naruto is presumed to be smart enough to know what nuclear fusion is, which he well, clearly no, he, he clearly he isn't. Doesn't. Yeah, he clearly doesn't based on his immediate response. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> so, like, Karama definitely had a high opinion of him in that moment. He's like, no, I, this new form's complicated. Let me explain it to you like this. It's like nuclear fusion. He's like, what the fuck's that? He's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm teamed up with an idiot. You've known him for 20 years. <laughs> He's like, did Naruto go with me to the, to the nuclear fusion tour? Well, he would have had to. <laughs> like Naruto goes into like an MIT class and sits down and promptly falls over unconscious. And then his demonic fox spirit sits up in his chair, puts on glasses and starts taking notes. <laughs> Fascinating, fascinating. They're like, uh, Mr. Hokage, if you could at least lower three of your nine flying uh, fox tails that are currently blocking the rest of the class. You've set five of your classmates on fire, sir. <laughs> oh, my apologies. Uh, 
And before anyone starts to link me some YouTube essay about how, like, clearly this means that because the tail beasts were originated from the Otsutsuki or something like that, it's some sort of moon clan technology knowledge or something like that. Shut the fuck up. He's a demon fox ninja magic guy who wants to tell you about how nuclear fusion works. I don't care. Yeah, like, it's one of those things. Like, I don't care if there's a logic in the Naruto universe for it because I just enjoy the line without the context because we haven't had the context to this point to assume nuclear fusion is like a discovered and regular science that people would know about so it's just very very funny to think why does karama know about nuclear fusion so he starts off with that and Nard's like what's that and karama replies never mind the theory doesn't matter <laughs> Like, let me explain it like this. What? Naruto, you're in a video game. <laughs> and you're just like, God damn it. Kishimoto already took over writing this again, didn't he? <laughs> so, he explains that the other modes that Naruto goes into, Sage mode and his Tail Beast mode and stuff, those involve chakra that you acquire from elsewhere. But this is different. The raw materials to create this energy, my chakra and yours, get consumed until one or both our lives run out. So that's the key here is, you know, he can't he can't make any unnecessary moves because that shortens his very lifespan. Those are the tricks to keep this Baryon mode going for as long as possible. Look, Baryon, the first time I ever encountered that word was in relation to Yu-Gi-Oh! Zexel stuff. You don't want to be going down that rabbit hole. I know it's a real thing, but don't don't make me think about Yu-Gi-Oh! Zexel and chaos numbers, all right? So they fight. They fight, they fight, they fight. Naruto punches. They fight, they fight, they fight. Naruto's doing great. Boxes get dropped on him. They don't work. He dodges around. He's doing great. Punchy punch, kicky kick. Uh, then he does like something that doesn't really come across very well in terms of the way the paneling works, which is that um, so Jigen tries to throw the chakra rods while they're really tiny at Naruto and then they expand out. But Naruto just catches them in his hand and he tries to like really coolly like yeah. you know, throw, toss them down like drumsticks or something. And Jigen's like, <laughs> he just gapes and so he's like oh wow he's so fast and Sarasuke's like I can barely even track them with my Sharingan and he managed to catch them and they're like how is he so fast so we cut over to <laughs> we, do, we do everyone's favorite part of Boruto where we cut over to the room where a bunch of characters sit in a room and talk about the cool stuff that's happening so think of it like a video game Kawaki <laughs> I was grown in a jar <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to take my plan B route. Think of it a lot like nuclear fusion. Kawaki's <laughs> like, ah, oh, I see. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. We all we've all taken the tour. <laughs> Just like everyone in this room is a nerd. <laughs> of course. And what do you think of Gustos? <laughs> so um they bring up apropos of nothing. Because it's going to be relevant at the end of the chapter. Because about it, just like, hey, that's the prosthetic hand. It's it runs on chakra. It's kind of weird that it's compatible with you. And so they have to say like, oh no, it was actually created for the Hokage. So it's, he's sharing some of his shock with Kawaki right now, so that, so that the hand will function. And they're like, 
All right. And then Sumire says, are you going to try and restore his right hand, Mr. Amato? And Amato's like, yes, it will be my first task when all this is over. He's due for a checkup. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm a good guy now, kind of. Kind of. Now, this is this is interesting. This is a really interesting time to make bets on how relevant these characters will be going forward. Because Amano feels like that prime target that the previous writer wanted to use him. And also, once Kishimoto takes over, he'll be like, oh, I don't give a fuck about this character anymore. <laughs> this definitely feels like the Amato is planning to betray them at the, at the first moment's notice. But as he spends time in Konoha, he gets close to everyone. And so when he's at the crucial moment when he's going to betray everyone, he's going to flash back to when Sumire was like, are you going to fix his right hand? And he's like, yes, little girl, I am. And I'm going to put the Christmas tree back here, too. So I don't know. I, like if Kishimoto is just like, I don't like this weird glasses cigarette guy, then I probably wouldn't really miss him all that much. Yeah. So, Kawaki's chakra hand starts to go and so everyone's like what's going on and Kawaki's like the Lord Seventh chakra is weakening and we covered Naruto and his chakra is weakening and so everyone's like oh my god why is why is this chakra getting weaker uh we Boruto is like I heard everywhere Z's this is a very strange moment to cut them anyway Naruto's burning through his chakra really quickly, which means he's burning through his life force very quickly. So it's like, ah, it looks like you lost the bet there, Hokage. But it's time for me to finish you off. And he starts barfing up blood. And he's like, what the hell has happened to me? He's just been punching and kicking me. And Naruto says, now the real game begins to see which of us dies first. And Jigen's like, what happened to me? And he so, <laughs> got inside Naruto's head again. And Kurama is like coaching him from the corner, basically and selling him. He's like, okay, so here's your strategy in the kid. All right. So you got to keep your right up. In it. It's, it's basically yeah. that. What it boils down to is you don't need to worry about hitting him very hard. Just touch him. Just land your attacks because that will connect your chakra to his which means that this Baryan mode will drain both your life force and his. As long as you keep in contact again, it'll shave his life away. And that's the bet we need because he has a limited lifespan, way more limited than yours. We just need to outlast him that way and shave his life away. And sure enough, Jigen's already like, I should have had 20 hours left, but now I've got less than 30 minutes somehow. What the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> So Naruto keeps on punching him. They punch, you punch, punch, punch. Naruto pins him down. And then he's like, no, this is bullshit. God damn it. I was so close. Uh, and Jigen like tries to throw Naruto away. His lifespan's really, really low, which is like visualized by a shadow for some reason. I don't know. Naruto says, it's too late now. Boo hoo to you. Like literally he says boo hoo to you, which is yeah. 
incredibly Naruto you're like 35 now come on man so choking uh, and then all of a sudden Jigen goes wait a minute ho <laughs> and he holds his hand out and he's like I will be the last one standing after all not you lesser species and stuff goes over at Kawaki something goes Foo! and Shikamaru goes Kawaki, explain! <laughs> Which I guess is in response to him saying that Naruto's shock was getting weaker. And Kawaki's like, I don't know. And then from his artificial arm, Black Shocker comes out, forms a portal, and he's portaled away. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and uh, Otsutsuki Yashiki is like, the right hand of Kawaki connected him to your chakra, which means that I was able to use that link to drag him here at this very late moment. And Sasuke goes, Sure. <laughs> and Sasuke goes, This is bad. And Boruto's eyes open, and his eyes are like white now. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. So uh, it seems like to me that Boruto passed out so whatever Oshitsuki is taking over him or whatever is is now in control um, so that obviously may play a part in all of this my mind says like I doubt Kishimoto is taking over Boruto and then Naruto dies like that just doesn't feel like what he would do or it feels like a really weird way to like kick off the series that you're now going to be trying to make your money off of so, he just puts in that bit in Samurai 8 where the father dies. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, all right, fair enough. Uh, you know, it's kind of a cool fight scene. It's just like phew, kind of, I don't know. It's chunky and, and kind of doofy at times. And I, I I don't understand the context of like my arm has the, the, the fucking power of uh, fucking Naruto powering it. So I guess Jigen could teleport me in. I guess he detected him based off of Naruto's chakra signature. It's just, again, it feels kind of weird how it happens. And I'm like, all right, whatever. It, it's close enough, I guess. I mean, I like the idea of the fight that they have. And it's like, oh, this is what Shunsui's Bankai did in a way that makes sense and doesn't cheap it out by just having him make a strain that cuts a person's head off. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, our lifespans are being cut down. Naruto is known for his vast reserves of energy and, and chakra. And, um, this guy was only supposed to stay alive for like a day. So there you go. It's a great strategy to employ against him. Um, but yeah, the way that it just kind of goes down at the end, it's going to sound like, and now Kawaki's here. It's like, all right, fine, sure, I guess. I mean, it's it's a way to have the villain potentially go get a victory uh, when it seemed like the good guys were going to pull one out well beforehand. But it's just kind of a weird, like, because <laughs> that, that's why. Hey, Kurama, do you want to explain this to me? Well, you see, according to string theory. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of a Mobius strip, Naruto? Like, no. I love- Is that a snack? Mobius? I love the Sonic the Hedgehog world. <laughs> Mobius? Isn't that the Jared Leto movie coming out soon? Uh, maybe. <laughs> 
Oh man. Uh yeah. So instead, Nick, let's let's talk about uh Eden Zero, chapter one twenty, Rebecca versus Brittany. And we get uh, a, a, a nice cover spread or cover page of Rebecca and Laguna in the mirror doing makeup. And I think that a nice cover is uh, hopefully indicative of a good chapter. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I was actually kidding. I actually thought this is a pretty good chapter, but I guess we'll get to it. Yeah. I guess good in context. Anyways, uh, so <laughs> the big fight between Hamora and person she beat is finally over. So she falls because it's too hot and Shiki catches her and he's just like, don't worry, I'm going to take you. You know, this is what friends do. And then he sees a, he's like, eek, a bug and passes out. So Hamora has to carry him. And he's like, sorry. And she's like, nah, it's fine. Friends help each other. Actually, a pretty good joke. I actually enjoyed it. I don't know how she was instantly able to recover from her heat exhaustion, but okay. It's fine. Uh, so Rebecca is facing off against a character whose name I learned is Brittany from the chapter title. Uh, <laughs> and Brittany, I believe, is Smoke Lady or Gas Lady. So she tries to kick her. Uh, Lucy tries to... <laughs> Lucy, fuck. Rebecca tries to kick her and it, it won't work because she's fucking Smoker and she can just turn into gas. Um, and then... Gas Lady reveals her character quirk is she hates stupid women. She hates them because they just use yeah. their good looks to like get over with guys. And I'm like, oh, well, I like and, you. And according to something she says, you're just like that woman who tried to flirt with him, which means that she probably lost a guy because a girl was more proactive in pursuing him than she was. In my mind, I assume that is meant to be like. Uh, someone flirted with Nero because she's a member of Nero's group, and in my mind, I'm like, it's probably Labilia. That's that's where Labilia will show up next. That's that's just what I assume, uh, but it could be nothing. Uh, regardless, it's also one of those things. Where I'm like, I don't. I mean, you're not to like point it out, but you're like on the same level of attractiveness of every other character. So I don't know. Like, she wears non-flattering glasses, Chris. Yeah, she, that, that bumps her down a full like twenty points. Like, come on. I've... I guess. Uh, anyway, she just calls Rebecca bimbo a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and Rebecca just is like, well, this isn't going to work. I want to just leave. <laughs> she tries to just run away, picks up Happy and Pino. There and is a great, it is a great moment because she's like, well, I can't kick this woman. And so, and then she runs and then uh, Brittany is like, you're running away. And Rebecca's just like, well, my attacks won't hurt you. So bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, she runs away, goes specifically towards where, like, the fire uh, attacks were, and leads herself there. And once Brittany gets close to it, she gets lifted into the air because the heat makes the gas rise. And it's a very smart moment. And I actually really, really enjoy the explanation for why she knows this is Rebecca watches a lot of science YouTubers, basically. And she was like, yeah, I learned it on one of her channels. So, you know, there you go. And I was like, all right, that's kind of clever. Um she runs over to one of the cities. She's like, oh, wait, nobody's here. Ah, shit, what am I going to do? This person's all smoke. Ah, fuck. Um, and then there's a moment where Happy, I guess, in his dream is like, I can't eat another bite. And Rebecca's like, eat? That's it. I just have to eat her. And I'm like, all right. Anyway, they run into an electronic shop. Rebecca grabs the vacuum. It won't turn on because it needs a password. And immediately... I don't think I've guessed a vacuum <laughs> a vacuum that you it's like parley. You have to put in your social security number for it to activate. 
Uh, she tries to use it. Won't work. Pino's like, here's the password. But at that point, it's too late. Uh, Brittany fills the tire gas with poison smoke that just tears her apart and actually presumably kills her. Uh, except Rebecca can activate her cat leaper power before she dies. And she goes back in time. And she's back outside the electronics store. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm back here. Hey, I know the password now. So she doesn't even have to get it from Pino. She immediately just turns on the vacuum cleaner, sucks up Brittany and kicks it into space. And it goes flying off into the sky, Team Rocket style. And Pino is just like, uh, how did you activate the vacuum cleaner without the password? And Rebecca is just like, Cat Leaper activated. And I heard the password from you in a different future. I'm like, wow, your power is really useful. And she's like, actually, this felt different from last time. Are we are we really in world 31 now? And she's like, it felt like when I fought Nino, the world didn't move. Time just went backwards. Maybe my power can't. And that's how the chapter ends. And I'm like, it's kind of a weird place to end the chapter on. But I guess. No, it isn't. It's showing her feet. So. Well, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. <clears throat> It's certainly better than the past two fight chapters we've gotten, um, especially because there's stuff that, like, you know, implies, you know, developments of Rebecca's powers for the future. But I'm still just kind of like, yeah, all right. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think I enjoy it because one, Rebecca actually got like a fight scene that didn't feel very cheesecakey and actually kind of showed off her wit in a way I like. I actually really like the idea that she has a lot of like weird like kind of niche pieces of knowledge just because she's so into the regular B cuber community that she's got like all these little pieces of knowledge from all these channels she yeah. watches. Like I, it's like, that's actually a really cool character trait that I think would be really fun to explore. Um, yeah. Not just bring up once 120 chapters into your series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brittany herself sucks. Like that character's fuck. I don't get what they were trying to go for. But of the three fights, this is probably going to be the one I'm going to remember the most. So, you know, it had that going for it. And I, I appreciated that, you know, there was the moment of, oh, no, she's lost. She jumps back in time and she's like, now I can get in there. I don't understand why a vacuum cleaner requires a passcode to operate, but whatever. We're in future world. Also, it's a forest planet. What are you vacuuming up? It's Leaves. Just, like, dirt's just going to get everywhere, though. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Chainsaw Man, Chapter 94, Chainsaw Man versus the Weapon Human. It's Denji facing off against Makima and Ko uh, in probably the coolest moment in the whole chapter. (laughs) Makima uses the powers of the zombie devil to summon a bunch of bodies from the graveyard that they're in and a bunch of them pick up their headstones to use as like swords. Pretty badass. Uh, Denji sticks his chainsaws into the ground, lifts up with his chains, big chunks of gravel and like sends them crashing towards Makima. Uh, The weapon devils move in, bash through the concrete and they fight. A few of them went wound Denji Uh, A bunch of the zombies pile on top of him and he cuts his way out. The flamethrower devil sets the whole thing on fire. And then Denji jumps out of it and cuts through his head. Uh, Chipao is like, the I think, the last weapon devil left. And she manages to impale Denji through the torso a whole lot. And 
basically all of Makima's forces are gone very quickly. But Denji's lying on the ground heavily wounded before he collapses at Makima's feet. Makima stares down at him, uses her bang power to blow a hole in her hand and make it bleed profusely, of course. And she feeds him some of her blood and says, wake up, Denji. I'll kill you personally. Trade blows with me. Odd moment. Yeah. uh, So we also got the news recently that the editor of Chainsaw Man says Chainsaw Man is entering into its, quote, I think final stage, I think is the term used, which again with chainsaw man could mean fucking anything but seems to indicate we actually are headed towards some kind of conclusion if not for the whole series at least this arc but it sounds like it's for the series um i have to say that this chapter is really disappointing i i know i know before it made sense because he was he wasn't denji he was the chainsaw man who had no consciousness of who he was but the fact that there's nothing in this chapter that shows that he has any kind of recognition of Reze just feels fucking like a huge waste. Like, why bring back characters we know if Denji has zero thoughts about it? You know, she doesn't even do anything cool. She gets cut down in like a single panel and that's yeah, she's it. Bar- she's barely even like when in the exchange that she's in, you can barely tell that she's involved in it. Like, yeah. So it's. Yeah. It's also like if you just kind of examine it from like a, oh, so Denji was the ultra awesome chainsaw man who was super powerful and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And Makima has taken away a lot of people's fear of the chainsaw devil. So he should be weaker now. And then he beats them all even more easily than the first time. Like, <laughs> yeah, I really logically makes sense. I really but. don't get what's going on with this series in like the past, like three months it looked like we were finally turning a corner and being like that was kind of like the end of act two and now we're starting act three and now it's like no this is like a very protracted and long falling action you're like i I mean i guess but i mean this is just something that already has happened at this point like we've already seen denji beat all these characters and if he's not going to at least emotionally deal with them now then there really is no narrative difference between him doing this as denji and him doing it when he was just the full chainsaw devil you could have you might as well just not have had the weapon humans be there honestly if it was just gonna be like here's a chapter of action of him beating them really easily it's like i mean you could have just had this be a chapter of him dealing with a massive horde of zombies and that could have been cool like all right maguchan Chapter 21, Three Wicked Gods Creeping in the Dark of Night. So this is a weird kind of setup for a chapter because it's about the three gods having a night on the town. Kind of. Kind of. Uh, Uneris basically sends invitations out to Magu and Naputaku inviting them out uh, when it's very late. Uh, I do like that when the message arrives for Magu, Rue happens to come outside and see him and he, and she's like, what have you got there? And he like hides it by eating it. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> it's a very ki- little kid way of, uh, of dealing with the situation. So they go out at night because Uneris wants to basically experience more of human society and experience the adult world. Um, which 
Agu is sounds says that it sounds like a good plan because he can extend his domain into the city. And Naputuku is like, and also there will be great food for me to eat. <laughs> he knows what he's about, and yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, but but Naputuku is like, if I leave this town, I can come across some really fine dining, and it'll be all mine. And Magu's like, I do not intend to share any of it with you. Which I guess is like, the food is also in my domain. Fuck you. So, I don't know. Um, there's this very cute panel of them, like, dressed up uh, for their night on the town. So, Oniris is wearing this very fashionable dress. And Nagu is in a tuxedo. And Naputaku looks like an old-style news reporter for some reason. Like, he looks like he's gonna be... He looks like he belongs in a... Oh, God, like... What's that fucking... Never mind. It doesn't matter. But then they're just not in those outfits, which I don't know. Seems like seems like a little bit of a wasted opportunity to me. But whatever. Mm-hmm. They go uh, wandering around the streets, and there's like nobody there because it's not a very populous town that they're in. So everywhere is just kind of closed. So everyone's kind of upset about this. Um, <laughs> Magu is like. This will serve as a, as a preliminary inspection of my expansion. And Nabutuka is like, yeah, and there's probably feasts hidden away in places like this. And he just looks in a trash can. Uh, they come across a little kitty cat. Yep, and great ass cat. It's got a little, little collar with a bell on it. And I do love this bit because Magu's like, lowly creature, submit to me and give me offerings. And the cat just goes, <laughs> and just walks off. Because it's, like, it's a cat. Yep. Uh, but they follow the cat and they happen to come across a place that is open, which is just this little dive bar. And so she agrees to serve them, presumably after Naputka mentions being over 600 years old. And they drink some beer. Naputka gets drunk immediately, which makes sense because they're very small. Uh, Uneris does not drink because she likes to keep her health and figure. Okay. Uh Magu accuses her of wanting to get them drunk so that she can extract information from them. And Uneris is like, no, I wasn't trying to trick you. I just actually wanted to chat with you guys. I wanted us to you know, share information. So Magu asks her, all right, well, why? Why do you pretend to have been caught by the holy knighthood? As he points out, just like, you know, there's no way that you that someone with your power of providence would have actually been captured by them. And Anaris is just like, I get free air conditioning and unlimited internet, and I can stand all the nights there. It's like, it, I mean, like, it's not really new information, like, because I wanted to. Yeah. So, so Magu's kind of like discussing with her a little bit, but uh, she says, But you know, like, the Holy Knights don't want to lose possession of my powers. I can protect myself, I can protect the knights from the people who have escaped from their seals. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice symbiotic relationship. Uh, and then she asks, hey, Magu, what about your relationship with Ruru? And Magu doesn't really know what she's talking about at first, but she's like, I mean, you're with this naive little girl and she seems somehow important to you. And Magu kind of is like, sort of, he says, she's nothing more than a disciple. However, she has become something to me, which I did not anticipate. And so the bartender says, ah, is this Ruru your lady? And Magu's like, get, starts giving those kind of vague answers that could be interpreted as Ruru being his like romantic uh, interest. 
and she's imagining Ruru as like just a female Magu, like Magu the, the with Ms. a Pac bow. Man. Yeah, like yeah. I just put a bow on it. Now it's a girl. <laughs> Give it eyelashes. Uh, so the Bart keeps like, well, you know, uh, are you complimenting her regularly? Because if you know you've been together for a few months, then maybe her appreciation is just naturally waning, and she's getting kind of tired of you. So if you compliment her, then you can make sure that she knows you don't take her for granted. And Mug is like, I should bestow honor upon her. Most informative. Uh, after that, they're basically done for the day. Um, and uh, she invites them to come over and drink anytime. Naputsuku is, is passed out. Somehow he has tied his tie around his head, which is very impressive considering he did not have a tie. Uh, when he came into the bar. But I don't know. I guess also, it, he it, has no fingers, so how could he grip a tie? <laughs> There's a lot of questions, really. Also, His head tie. is one narrow point, so at any point, if he tipped his head down, the tie would just slide off. The cat is laughing at him, which I've never actually heard a cat laugh, but I know they do it all the time. Oh, yeah, so. no, they it's the... Yeah, the Muttley laugh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Dawn breaks and they decide it's time to go home. Uh, they start heading out. Uh, each of them bids farewell to the others, except for Naputuku, who's asleep. But his hermit crabs uh, carry him away when what is referred to as the Napu taxi, which is a, a wonderful play on words. Uh, Magu goes home. Ruru wakes up just as he's coming in. And so he remembers what the barkeep told him and is like, that you can rouse yourself from slumber without my aid is most worthy of praise. And Ruru is just like, thanks. <laughs> and so these they start going about their day and he's like praising her for really weird things like being able to walk. Uh, that's <laughs> my favorite one. To be able to stand on two legs and great, make great strides forward. What an achievement. <laughs> so what? <laughs> All right. What the fuck's happening? And uh, Naputuku's hung over, so it was a different look, kind of kind of chapter for Magu-chan. Uh, I like the the character development that kind of takes place between some of the gods. I wish there had been a little bit more of it with Naputuku because, I mean, he has yes, just become a butt monkey. He, that's all there is to him, and I think that previous chapters demonstrated that. He's he is yes a butt monkey, but he's capable of having a little bit more to him than that. And it would have been nice to have him just have like one meaningful exchange with either Uneris or Magu before passing out drunk, and th mm. that's just it for him for the chapter. Um, but it was nice to 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 see a different kind of side that like yes, these are gods who do like have treat each other as equals. Uh, and so they're able to have this more honest conversation with each other, which is nice. Yeah, I, I think the the very scene, too, of heading out into a bar in the, the very late hours of the night and basically staying out till morning. I mean, that's like such a evocative kind of thing. I mean, we've had that where we've just gone out to bars before and you go out very yeah. late. We weren't open until dawn. Until Not dawn. dawn we were but, out late, yeah. But it's one of those things where you're like, yeah, that is kind of where you get, like, some really interesting discussions. It's just a very, like, I don't know, it's very, like, nostalgic time, even though it's not, like, you didn't really do a whole lot except fucking drink and shit like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, so, I, I, I like that choice. Hey, Chris, remember when I poked a, a shard of glass? 
Yes, and you had you made <laughs> the bar you made the bartender give you a bandaid. Yes, I didn't, I, well, I, I kind of inst- I instinctively asked for one because I realized I was bleeding, and then he brought out the real bandaid and gave me the joke small bandaid first, and we were like, "That joke small bandaid is probably too big for the cut you've got, Nick." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy great times but no I, I i actually did enjoy this chapter i i think the idea that it's not all just about like gags and gags and gags and you put some substance behind it really helps um and i, I thought the the end jokes were were really good too i i, I like the joke of like you have to compliment her poor and he gets home and he has no idea what to compliment a human voice fucking he, he's like you awoke how fantastic <laughs> Oh, yeah. Also, it is weird to see, like, you can tell that Ruru's taller now, now that it's been brought up. So it's like, huh, time is moving forward for, for these people. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty it was it was a good chapter of Magu, but it was good in a different way than I think we've come to expect. So. Yeah. All right, Chris, let's move on to the new series in Weekly Shonen Jump. Sakamoto Days. Chris, you know what we need? Because uh, I haven't seen anything. Uh-huh. I need a hitman or a spy series, but one that also focuses on their family life. That's what I need, okay? What's up, Chris? What's wrong? I fucking hate this series. You hate it. I hate it. I'm so... There are so many fucking mediocre comedies in Jump right now. I did not need another one. No, no. It's hysterical because he's fat. He doesn't talk at all. It's great. It's a fucking... What an enchanting world. All the fucking great jokes we'll get out of a fucking character who doesn't talk at all. It's hysterical. I had... There's a psychic, though. I hope we don't have another series in the Jump family about a psychic and a hitman that's far funnier and far more heartwarming. Because <laughs> it'd look really fucking stupid if we did have that. Chris, do you just want to take the lead on this? Sure, it sucks. I felt, I felt kind of positive about this. <laughs> But I didn't feel very strongly about it. So if you just want to go off, <laughs> I have I have no real strong thoughts beyond just the note of just like I guess we're just gonna do this again. I just, you know what, Chris? Maybe Sakamoto Days can turn itself around. Maybe it can just abandon this tried and true spy hitman family dynamic. And instead, go for being an Exorcist series. <laughs> you know, strike off on its own. At this, so at this point, I would almost appreciate it because I'm so so. I, I you know, when I read everything in Jump, I generally I I have to kind of start with a lot of the series we won't talk about because if, if I do, then I tend to forget a lot of those details. And there's a lot of the stuff that we don't talk about that are just not very good. And I like start with that to kind of like get through it and there's just a chunk like a fucking big meaty like five chapter long stretch of just mediocre comedy series that maybe one of them will have a good joke and the rest of them you're just like god i i just <laughs> why am i still reading all there's so many i'm just like why is maury king still going on i don't get it we had two new series debut. Why didn't anything end? 
You're just like, maybe it'll be, I don't, I don't know. Man, I, look, I understand there's a lot of people that seem to really enjoy this series. And that's great stuff. This is definitely a series that as I read this, I was like, it's, it's fine, I suppose. It's, it's fine. But I want nothing to do with it. Like, just reading it, I was just like, it's just, it starts with a poop joke. I'm just, I'm so fucking tired of it. Alien poop joke. Yeah, well, I mean, now, now you've made it intriguing. Now you have my attention. I do love the cover page for 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 the series with uh, Sakamoto with the gun in one hand and then the scanner gun in the other. That's a nice that's that's like all you need is like that visual. It's very effective. Mm-hmm. But because you see, this, Nick, you you would expect him when he has the gun that he's a killer. But the hilarious twist of it is he has a a, 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 a barcode scanner in the other one because he's not actually an assassin, Nick. He's just a dumpy shop clerk, actually. But he's got a family with all the personality of wife and child to enjoy. So it's fucking, it's for all ages of the goddamn family. Bring them all in. They'll all enjoy this fucking shit. I think that, like, all of your pent-up like just willing to just kind of accept it patience for like stuff that wasn't good enough for us to keep covering it to just kind of come boiling over. It is. It's 100% not actually Sakamoto Days' fault, but Sakamoto came in at the exact wrong time at the exact wrong place. And I, it's catching all of it. Chris, I think it's time for me to reveal something. Oh, <gasps> And that is my my veto in the bank. No! In any way till chapter three. I had to read chapter two and three with the acknowledgement. I just had to keep reading it. I'm just kidding. I don't know if I actually want to keep this or not. <laughs> it was justice for me to... Oh, to yeah. Oh, it's the exact level where I'm just like... Purely uh, for spite, we're going to keep on going. It was a real, like, a fucking grown adult tantrum, too, like I've ever had as I was I was like, I don't want to read it! I don't want it anymore! Just throw a basketball! I need something like a sports series in this goddamn magazine at this point! There's no sports series! Fuck you, Sakamoto! <laughs> yeah, I really just turned against it. Uh, the premise of the series, there's this former hitman named Sakamoto. He used to be, like, the world's greatest hitman. He went into a convenience store one day, fell in love in, at first sight with the girl who was at the counter. They immediately just immediately abandoned his his hitman lifestyle. They got married. They had a kid. And all the punchline is and Sakamoto's gotten out of shape now. He's all pudgy, um, which I like Sakamoto's just kind of premise of just like he's just this kind of 40 year old dad now. It's like Jump could use a little bit more variation in his protagonists. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate that. I also appreciate that he just kind of has this like these moments where his hitman lifestyle occasionally comes back to him. Like he stops the guy who's going to beat up a kid and he just imagines gouging out the guy's jugular with a pen. And he's like, no, 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 I'm 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 a shopkeeper now. And so I'm not going to do that. Uh, and uh but as it turns out, there is a hitman who has come to see him named Sheen, and he's clairvoyant, so he can read minds. 
So Anya uh, talks to the hitman, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> basically he tries to like bring him back to the hitman lifestyle. And we do just get some moments where Sakamoto proves that he still got it. Like you know he chops off the tip of Sheen's cigarette when he tries to smoke in a non-smoking area. Um, but he refuses to go. He obviously has literally no interest in going back. Like he, sh- he shows Shin what he does with his day. And he's just kind of like the guy who just kind of helps people out, which includes a moment where some kids are upset that they don't have, that they have to share a ball. So he rips the ball in half and somehow it becomes two balls because he's just that good, I guess. But, uh, so Shin leaves and he's like, okay, I guess I couldn't bring him back to the hitman life. Uh, which means that he's supposed to kill, to kill Sakamoto. Uh, but he doesn't want to, obviously. Um, he tries to, and Shin deflects the bullet by spitting a piece of a cough drop at it. And they have a little fight scene in the, in the shop until, uh, Sakamoto just kicks him through the shelves and knocks him out. Sakamoto's family cares for him. And then basically Shin realizes, oh, this is what Mr. Sakamoto actually gave up everything for is that he really, really cares for this life and this family that he has. So he goes back to the hitman, to the, to the mob boss and is like, please don't kill Mr. Sakamoto. And the guy's like, well, if you kill yourself, then I guess he can live. And then he's of course thinking like, I mean, I'm going to kill him anyway. And Shin's like, I heard that. Cause he's clairvoyant. He can read minds. I, so. I mean, I guess he's supposed to be an idiot, but can you give a real big fucking round of applause to the mob boss who was like, yeah, sure, you kill yourself and I'll make that deal. Then loudly thinks, I'm not going to make that deal. And then he's like, oh, right, that guy can read minds. I'm like, his name's the clairvoyant. I don't. (laughs) It's his one thing. Sakamoto from afar hears gunshots and he reveals that he's got an entire arsenal including gardening tools uh, hidden in his like, you know, super spy convenience shop. Um, Must have been really weird to uh, get that past the insurance agent. So uh, then Sheen is not doing so well. Sakamoto shows up in the nick of time and tases some goons and they fight and they save the day. Yay. Sakamoto sure is awesome still. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, Shin is like, I've made a decision as of today. I'm good. But Sakamoto throws an apron at him and Sakamoto just thinks. But, you know, it's actually weird because like he actually speaks for the first time here because he thinks 800 yen an hour or 850 yen with extra for overtime. And so Shin gets hired to work at Sakamoto's shop. His clairvoyance proves helpful. And that's where we're starting off the series. It's two hitmans working at this little convenience store. And uh, Sakamoto's got kids. I think that there are some parts of the series that are interesting. And I do like that it takes a different approach to that. The spy family or Yozakura family premise. It's, you know, it's the old it's the old hitman who just wants to have, you know, a nice convenient life. And then we have this kind of more more typical shonen protagonist, more POV kind of character that we experience through, but the main uh, attraction is this older guy. Um, this series is going to live or die based on how funny people find it. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. So, 
You know what I think my favorite part was? What was um, that, Chris? It's when he takes out his gun. And this is kind of pretty novel. So I think it's pretty innovative for a, a spy comedy series to have the main character with a gun that shoots electricity. Uh, I think it's really it's really just on the forefront of like fingers on the pulse of fucking the magazine to recognize that uh, nothing else in Jump's doing that recently. So, yeah, I can't wait until like 100 chapters later when it turns into a sword. Mm-hmm. That'd be amazing. Yep. Look, I really don't think it's as bad as I'm making it out to be, but I just it I have so much exhaustion from reading these like because this isn't that funny to me. Like, I didn't get like a laugh out of this chapter. And when you you're reading like five series a week that just are comedies that are not funny, you just reach a tipping point where you're just like, fuck, why am I choosing to do this to myself? And you're like, you know, it helps give you this well-rounded kind of knowledge of what's going on in the magazine, things like that. But you're just like, I guess we have one more of these to add to it. And because nothing feels like it's leaving the recap, except weirdly, Phantom Seer feels like it's either entering a part two or might be wrapping up. Yeah, like it's really quickly jumping through some stuff. Um, You know, it's just like, all right, let's we'll go along with it. Yeah. We'll see how this goes, Chris. Mm-hmm. Ooh, about what about that? That that we never learned series. Yeah, let's talk about that. We never learned series. Question one eighty three: A pizza bet equals the queen of thin ice. Part six. Uh, so we're in a a flashback, and it's Kirisu when she was in high school, and she's thinking about, oh, I missed her school trip, and and this year I'm, I'm probably not going to make the school festival again. You know, it's just how it is. I'm a figure skater. I have to focus on that. And then she's like, oh, hey, you know, we actually finished surprisingly early. I could actually make the school festival. If I if I run, I might make it in time for the closing ceremony. And she runs there and she's like, oh, wow, so exciting. There's there's the closing ceremony. Oh, there's well, there's my classmates. And she's like running over to see her classmates and they're all like oh hey kira suit so exciting don't you have figure stage she's like yes but i finished early and they're all just talking and they kind of start to like moosey on into the festival and she's paralyzed and stuck because she's like why won't i go i my friends are right there i could join them i just want to move and she thinks about her parents who are saying, hey, you know, you're this very special, raw genius. You have to focus. Everyone else is a rival. It doesn't matter. And she's like, oh, yeah, figure figure skating is, is just an excuse. The truth is this longing I want so badly, but at the same time, I'm afraid to let people in because everyone's my rival. And is there anywhere that I belong? Am I truly capable of loving others? I'm scared. So. so the only person I can be with is someone who doesn't intimidate me, mm-hmm. like someone who's like a baby who I don't have to compete with. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, so we cut back to the present. Uega, uh, Kirsu's just like, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I can't. You know, romance is just out of the question. So it's just not going to work in figure skating in my class at school, even my family, I I keep everyone at a distance. So I just don't know how to love or be loved. And you wake like, thank you for telling me now. I know more about the woman I love. And it's just like, it's an audible sound effect where it's like, you know, the part of like, 
hey, you know, Uega kind of addressed the fact that he's acknowledging the fact that he fell in love with his teacher, but hasn't like really kind of addressed the the issues that go on with that relationship. And then someone came along and was like, you know, I can make this better. What if he fell in love with her when he was 11 instead? And you're like, no, that doesn't. <laughs> That's the opposite of making it better. You stop that. <laughs> um, it, Basically, the school festival is going on. Kirisu is just like, I don't get it. Uega seems like he's doing fine. I'm the one who's kind of acting weird. Uega eventually gets her wrapped up in all these these events for the school festival being like hey we're part of a helper club so we'll help all the different uh groups and it's very exhausting kirisu eventually is like why are we doing it yuega's like well i wanted you to experience a school festival and she gets to get thanked by all the different classes and she has to like receive their love in the form of gifts so it's it's sort of a, a sweet moment where kirisu is kind of shown love and how to like reciprocate it and the end of the chapter is Uega basically being like, I'm giving you this full experience, so that's what we're going to do. Um, it's just not good enough to save this arc's, you know, sword of Damocles that's hanging over its head. And Uega himself also just feels weirdly like, I have been programmed to be in love this time. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's not very good. I don't buy that he, why Yui is in love with Kirisu. Yeah. Like, it, it just seems like... So the first three arcs in the series were about Yuiga realizing he was in love with one of the girls or he, about him falling in love with them. The fourth one was about him being in love with Asumi and us seeing how that happened through flashbacks and then him having to deal with, you know, them wanting to be together but not allowing themselves to be mm. this one is about him being perfect and just like kirisu just has to open her heart up to him and everything will be fine why is he in love with kirisu because she's she got that butt yeah it, honestly so. <laughs> i would kind of even appreciate it too if his like attraction was just purely physical something they're just and i i feel like we're going to get it and although we harp on it, I, I don't I mean, actually we, we actually had positive things to say about his physical attraction to Asumi in the last chapter when yeah. it was like her lips. And it was like, no, no, that's like, geez, that's very erotic. Yeah, I was like, that I actually buy, was really hot, you know, so it's I, like I buy you were attracted to that woman. But then this is just like because she's perf. I don't know. Like it's and then it just kind of draws it back to that whole thing where like. They made the pro the promise that Kirisu was like ninety percent kidding about when Yuiga was like eleven. Was has he just been in love with her because of that? And if so, ew. And it, it, I'm just not buying it. And now it's just like it seems as though all the stuff in Yuiga's in is just resolved. Yes. It's like he knows how he feels about Kirisu. He wants to be together with her. He has no doubts about this. It is all about can Kirisu's melt, thawed heart melt? Can mm. can 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 she stop being frozen over? Can she let herself love? Yeah. Can she? It's ah. it's it's it, it has that element to it. Uh, like, and here's the thing. So, like the start of the chapter, you know, in a vacuum, I would kind of enjoy this story that Kirisu has always kind of had ice skating as this excuse to not hang out with people but in actuality 
it, it wouldn't matter if it was ice skating. She would find some other reason to push people away. And that would be an interesting wrinkle to her character to follow. But because it's all kind of caught in now with this story about her falling in love with one of her students and potentially adding on the extra level of maybe she also kind of made a promise to him when he was 11. I'm not going to harp too much on that. It's even without that, it's still a gross relationship. Like I just, I don't want to, I like, there's just going to be a part of me. that's not going to want to get emotionally invested in this. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very kind of gross suggestion for like a teacher to be like, I'll marry my student later on in life when he's, when they're not my student. Like that's that. Mm, it's just not a good look. And then, it's a good that, thing that she's able to love him because she doesn't and she knows she doesn't have to fear him because she doesn't see him as a rival because he's younger than her. Yeah, it's Ugh. there's just a lot of gross stuff that has to kind of exist here. And then it's also kind of weird, but I also have to take points off the chapter because it's not horny at all, really. No, <laughs> like, no. I was like the uh, <laughs> horny scale. Hang on. Let me check real quick. But 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 I was like. Okay, she wears a Chinese dress that shows her cleavage. That's pretty good, but don't see nearly enough of it. And that's about it. So two. Yeah, I was going to say, you get like a couple boob shots. No but butt shots. That's... What kind of Curious Who chapter has no butt shots, Chris? I mean, there's there's one butt shot when she she gets startled by someone saying Uega Sensei. It's kind of, you know, it's fine. It's you know, when you've been eating fucking oh, yeah, filet. Yeah. No, 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 no. Listen, I, that, listen. I, I need to have at least four of those shots. I was gonna say, to give you. when you've been eating filet mignon for fucking weeks, going back to a hamburger is still a step down. It's still meat, but it's a step down. And that's uh, the hamburger of butt shots, is what I'm saying. That's not gonna be the chapter title. Uh, but still, I have two more things to note. Okay. Um, one of them is uh, actually I've forgotten one of them. I just so I, the other one I want to remember. I want to bring up is just the replica rabbit in the chat uh, su- suggests that uh, Yui got imprinted on Kirisu, which makes me just want to see that scene from the Twilight movies uh, reenacted, where he just, just like he just sees her and just <laughs> that's it. I, I would take that. That's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's, um, I'm guessing We Never Learn is still going to end soon. Um, if this follows the pattern of the other cha- of the other uh, side stories, then that means that we're going to have three more chapters, uh-huh. which means that we that this rotation of manga is going to have the new chapters now and then an ended series in like three more weeks, which sounds odd to me. So we're now in a- I'm thinking, is there something else? Something else ending? Something else in Weekly Manga, in uh, in uh, We Never Learn, rather. Oh, I mean, potentially. There could always just be another story, I guess. Like, oh, yeah. that was the thing I wanted to bring up. This whole thing really just makes me think that the only reason there is a Kirisu story is because there were stories for the other girls. Yeah. And I really, uh, like, if you were going to try and convince me, like, oh, no. All of the stories are equally canon. No, they're not. Like, <laughs> yeah. We were talking. We talked about when the re- when the Ogata one happens. Like this one's just not nearly as good as Iruka one. Iruka is the clearly the canon. I was like, but we found good things to say about the Fumino one and the Asumi one was arguably the best of the first four, just in terms of standalone quality. This one 
feels like no effort has been put into it, honestly. It's, it feels like it's just there because it has to be. And that's very frustrating because even with the girls that Yuga didn't seem like he was going to be the best with, there were a few interesting stories there. And this is just there. Eh, so. I think what hurts is that generally, even in those stories, Yuega's charm kind of made it more interesting. But Yuega has like kind of become a very boring character to me right now just because he, he's so confident in this love that's just not worth investing in. Like I, I, I do enjoy his sweet gesture of like, I'm going to help him. I'm going to help Kirisu enjoy the school festival she never had. That's very classic Uega. It's just, it's so hard to enjoy it when I know the motivation behind it is like, I love this girl and I have yet to really give a reason behind it. So it's hard to really get invested in it. You know, the other four stories were not the girl stories. They were Uega and Uruka. Mm -hmm. They were Uega and Asumi's story, Uega and Fumina's story. Seikijo's story featuring her best friends. Oh, God. Yeah. And, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. Z Time to 100... get stoned. Z equals 175. Ultra race across South America. Uh, they've made rubber. Hooray. Uh, and <laughs> immediately, Kaseki and Chrome, nerds that they are like, look, we can stretch this out between us. And Gen's just like, oh no, I know exactly what's going to happen here. And sure enough, the rubber snaps into, into uh, Chrome's face and like hits him so hard that it like makes him lose a tooth. And it's like, yep. But they're like, hey, this is, you know, a big step for us. We can make tires from this. And that means that we can, you know, make motorcycles. Awesome. Kohaku is immediately being an expert Super Bowl juggler because she's, you know, just like a character, you know, but uh, Senka's like, no, no, this is, you know, once we process this, we can we can use this more than just a play thing. He leads the manual labor over to Taiju, of course. And so they go through the process of kind of processing the rubber in order to soften it up so that they can actually make a tire out of it. Um, they stamp it. Gives it, you know, some treads and stuff. And uh, then we get very oddly a thing that also happened in the last chapter, which was Zeno looking off into the distance meaningfully while recognizing that he's got to work with Senku for right now. <laughs> like this, the exact same thing happens. Uh, they process the rubber some more and they make some tires. Hooray. Uh, and Kaku's like, oh wow, this you know these things are way smoother and speedier than the bamboo wheels we have to we have to use in the village. Uh, then Kaseki, Kaseki, who cried over the science lab <laughs> last chapter, starts dismantling the boat while they're still at sea. And everyone's like, what are you doing? What is it? And he's like, oh, we're harvesting materials. There's all this shaped metal here ready to use. And Suika brings up. If we're taking the boat apart, aren't we going to drown? And Kaseki says, no, we'll be moving even faster with a lighter vessel. And Chrome's like, I mean, we're carrying the parts you filtered around with us, so we're not really any Make a motorcycle. So uh, we cut over to Stanley's vessel as they're trying to make their way to uh, after uh, Senku and company. They come across 
the decoy science lab and oh no the going married boom is blown up it's gone it's gone forever and it cried except it didn't because it wasn't nearly as anthropomorphized it's just a piece of machine no i i think there's a there's actually a pretty small text bubble you could read where it says (laughs) i i I only wish i could have carried you guys a little bit further it's like mixed up in the waves only certain versions have it it's like a golden ticket you had to you had to be lucky my dad works at nintendo he told me that the the mobile lab said i i I love you guys as he drowned (laughs) <laughs> my dad is an agaki see you can play as metal mario if you just you <laughs> so uh they realize that of course they've got to head for the other radio signal and start heading there they've made it to ecuador and um they see when they get there oh looks like things are a bit different here after a few thousand years have passed because uh, the landscape is a little bit different, but it's OK. We've got the motorcycles. It just means that we won't have a lot of cover. They keep on dismantling the boats, which Suika's upset about. Uh, but Sanku's like, yeah, we're done with the boat. Uh, we're going to just go on motorcycles and cut across South America that way. And uh, Ryusui's like, strip out the wood. That's our fuel, which surprises the modern day people because they're like, well, we're going to have motorcycles that will run on wood. And so they're all confused, except for um, Dr. What's her name? Chelsea. Chelsea. Because she says, that's totes awesome. So Senku declares they're going to make a boss bike and five baby bikes. The boss bike is going to have a boiler that burns wood and collects charcoal gas in tanks. Each baby bike gets a tank to hook up to its engine. And uh, so Chrome builds up like, wait, so that means we're going to have to build six engines. That's going to take a lot of time. Stanley could catch up with us in that time. Um, but then he thinks about it, like, OK, wait, six engines powered by gas from charcoal. The crash of is there. So they're like, oh, we've got a boiler and six engines already right here on the boat. So yeah, they're like, yes, that's why we made six vehicles. So, we had six engines already. So Ukiya warns them that uh, the the mobile lab has been sunk, which means that they're running out of time. Of course, Ryusui declares that with this time load, that means that they've got to to work through the night, several nights in a row, basically. And uh, and he's like, I've got a desire to see those finished products. Sunrise eventually one day. Suika spots Stanley's ship coming. And um, I don't know what kind of technology they use in order to launch all these people on lines from the aircraft carrier. But they seem to almost be fired from cannons, given the way that they fly through the air. Anyway, they surround what's left of the boat and are rampaging towards it. Ginro's like, everyone run! But then the side of the boat cracks open and a whole bunch of motorcycles come stampeding out. And Senku, like, looks really pleased with himself for once. Like, it's not, it's, this is not just like, all right, on to the next one. This is like, I built a bunch of motorcycles. <laughs> I'm the best. Uh, so, yeah, they, they are riding off on motorcycles now. So, hooray. Yep. Uh this was a chapter of Dr. Stone. That's basically that's, all you can say. About that's it. really all I had to say about it. A couple of laughs here and there. They made a science and hooray. The day was saved until they have to use science to save the next day. It, mm-hmm. it was fine. Yeah. 
All right, Nick, let's talk about MASH. Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 40, MASH, Burn Dead, and the Candle's Flame. So we start this chapter by talking a, bit, a little bit about the Divine Visionaries. They are the foremost group of magic users in the world, and they the force that keeps it running. The majority of tasks dealing with magic are handled by them, but they also have another role, working as the state-sanctioned police force to protect society from those that would harm it. And to symbolize their role as the servants of the Divine, they are given titles marking them as the Wands of God. And we see a little baby owl flying in the sky before we uh, then, I guess, zoom out to the very imposing Catholic cathedral where this is taking place. And uh, it is the emergency inquiry into Mash Bird Dead's concealment of his lack of magic. And it's just Max, Mash's face with like a little bit of like drool kind of hanging down. And we cut to yesterday. When basically exactly where the last chapter ended, where like Abyss and Lime or Lemon had like kind of an awkward moment, and Al just fucking crashes in through the window. <laughs> the least graceful Al ever. I just, yeah. <laughs> just breaks through it, drops off the note. Mash reads it, goes, yikes, and then we cut back to the present day. <laughs> so we get. We- so there's the explanation of how we ended up here. Mash got a letter, guys. <laughs> It all happens in half of a page, and you're like, yeah, I'm glad we had this flashback to explain how MASH was notified about this. Can you imagine if, like, this just took place in the modern day, and it's like, oh, how did we get to this point? Just cuts to MASH, and he's, like, sitting at his computer, receives an email. (laughs) Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh, we we are introduced to the vice director of the Bureau of Magic, Bless Minister. That is not his title. His name is Bless Minister. Pope Man McCauley, dude. <laughs> oh, man, I hope there's a character with that name. Uh, Bless, or Mr. Minister, as he's often called. Uh, Mr. Minister. <laughs> Mr. Minister. That's uh, what uh, the sinister minister had to call himself when he was doing indie scenes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so he, he basically I- I explains everything wrong. He's like, you know, concealing your magic is a crime. Even worse, you went undiscovered until enrollment. It's without precedent. And then he basically goes on in a, a kind of long rant about God and rejects, basically. He's like, God created this world. It's a thing of beauty. Magic is his. Magic is a miracle bestowed on us alone. And something has threatened this beautiful miracle. You. And I love Mash's reaction. It's just like, question mark. He's like, oh. And he's like, no, you don't understand. You are a bug in the system. You must be dealt with quickly before you disturb the the order of things any further. And it just, like, closes book at him and again, like, uh, he's like, yeah, but what if things didn't have to be perfect all the time? He's like, listen here, you little shit. I, I love you, Mash. Like, it's just like, what if things didn't have to be perfect all the time? Aww. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. You don't realize you're being, you're dealing with bigots that have lived on for a thousand years. Like... Uh, so Bless is about to go off in this whole big thing when he's interrupted by somebody who says, in this world, there's no such thing as un- an unshakable confidence. In the end, all that matters is success. What you need is not confidence, but faith in yourself. And we see this this character called Rio Grants, Magic Security Forces Captain, the Light Crane. 
And it's an individual who has kind of like the magician slash circus performer kind of aesthetic to him. He's got like the two lines underneath the eye. He's holding a deck of cards. He's got a very fancy scarf. And Rio just says, you've got the potential to become a real man. And Bless is like, Lord Visionary, what are you doing here? He's like, that's not right, important right now. Is, isn't that right, Mushroom Head? <laughs> Mash is like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> what else is he going to do? Uh, so Rio basically says, like, hey, you know what? We all have to live by the rules here. And the rules suit the majority, of course. So, you know, if we tried to accommodate everybody, we'd never have stability. So what do you do when you're not part of the majority that the rules are in favor of? Simple. You sway the majority to your side. For what it's worth, you don't even have to be right. All that matters is who's talking. Uh, so he creates a candle. And Mash is just looking at it. And he says, light it. Without touching it. Mash is like, uh, no touching. He's like, yeah, magic is everything in this world. You need to show us a miracle stronger than magic. Are you truly manly? Then prove it. And Bless is just like, this is stupid. Asking someone without magic to light a candle from that distance. And he's like, I pulled out a wand. What's someone with no magic going to do with a wand? And he's going to be like, oh, no, Rio, this was so cruel of you. You gave him an impossible task. He's just going to give up. Mash puts it on the ground, puts his fingers or his hands on the other side and just starts rubbing it like he's starting a fire. And he literally starts an enormous fire whirlwind <laughs> that shoots out and blesses like, that's a fucking marble floor. How is he getting the <laughs> traction for this? <laughs> and Mash lights it and he says, all right, I get it. I'll change this world's views with my fist. Sirio comments. He's like, all right, you're hot stuff. But then an announcement is made. The divine visionaries have arrived and they're all talking. Somebody's like, get rid of a magicless student. Oh, they're in that room. Oh, this is the worst part of the job. You know, blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of fucking great. The main, like, this seems like this is our new antagonist group. And the character we're zoomed in on, I have to presume, is the leader. And the fucking the main villain is a fucking Harry Potter character. It is great. He just says, we exist to maintain order. There is no exceptions. And it's like, fuck yes, man. I want to see that evil Harry Potter. I know he's probably not going to have an actual personality of Harry Potter, but I, I love the idea we've gone so far in on this fucking trope that it's like, we'll just start using more of the characters now. I want to find out about that dark-skinned guy in the back who's got the biggest feet in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm also kind of interested in the dude who just has a fucking baby dragon riding on his head. Yeah, He's got some fucking good shit going on. I like him. Yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, we knew, of course, that a bunch of people had discovered that MASH could not use magic, but this is quite an escalation to pull out of out with no warning they're like yeah the world knows about him now uh and so he's basically kind of been given this task to change the world while people know his secret um mash i think is at a point mash is at a point where hey it's very firmly established it keeps on getting all these color pages so it seems to be doing very well uh, it looks yeah. like it's being uh pushed as one of the one of shonen jumps uh promising new series uh, and it's just kind of like, yeah, diving both feet f uh, with both feet uh, first into just doing it. And, uh, well, 
I don't really know where things are going to go from this point now that we're here because it seems as though MASH has kind of gotten approval from someone very influential Mm. at the same time someone is there to kick him out of the school. (laughs) So that's going to be odd to have to deal with. But It's also interesting because we're introduced to kind of a very new element of this world because you sort of had to think, you're like, well, MASH just got all these coins and... Mm. He got them from his school, which only has three dorms, and he just beat the strongest members of the strongest <clears throat> dorm. So I suppose you could go back and retroactively say, like, the Orca dorms, you know, insanely important or something like that. But now we're kind of introduced to this idea that there's, like, captains and divisions and things like that. You know, Rio Grants is the Light Cane. He's, you know, a forces captain. The Divine Visionaries are, are police keepers, basically. And it's kind of this interesting concept that now has come up where we might have to start moving away from the school a little bit to start almost becoming Black Clover, honestly. Um, but it's, I don't know. I, I, I tweeted out at the moment, like, last week after I read this chapter, I was like, God, I fucking love Mashal. And I'll be honest, this isn't even, like, the greatest chapter. We've seen Mash kind of do these things before, although I always enjoy just how over-the-top his his responses are. Uh, but Mashal just makes me fucking happy in a way that I have trouble properly explaining. And this was just another one. It was just a chapter as I read it. I was like, I fucking love this series. You know, like how like Sakamoto made me like really angry. <laughs> like this is like mm-hmm. the inverse where I'm just like, this is why I read manga. There's stuff that I really, really enjoy like this that I really get to really, you know, just embrace and 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 love. So I, I really appreciated this chapter, even though it's maybe not the nest like the necessarily best chapter this week or anything like that. I just really enjoyed it. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ayakashi Triangle. Chapter 22, The Gift of Constant Change. So I had sort of had the impression over the course of the last few chapters that maybe Sosuke would be like some sort of recurring villain <laughs> character. Um, called that one wrong, it seems like. <laughs> it seems, you know, you never know. But uh, So we see the result of him literally eating um the wind jutsu that uh, uh matsuri shoved into one of into a, his uh, remote mouth thing which and he's his physical form is falling apart sosuke can't keep up his physical shape and so he's like no no jinyor species that should surpass humans and ayakashi this can't happen i must eat the most de- i must devour the ultimate meal and he starts reaching out towards suzu who is crying as she looks at him. And Sosuke thinks to himself, you're so odd. After all I put you through, you should be happy that I'm dying. Why do you look like that? Why are you crying? That makes me lose my appetite, Miss Kanade. Now I understand. It's this here between you and me. It's the heart. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically the moment that he has, but it's not nearly as played up so. Um, Shirogane is kind of watching things and she and he realizes this girl can, you know, sympathize with Ayakashi. She can see things from the Ayakashi's perspective. Suzu uh, rushes into Matsuri's arms and they and he kind of, you know, instinctively embraces her. And she says, you know, I felt I feel sorry for him and for the poor Ayakashi who got eaten, but I'm OK now. And she says, you know what? These are tears of joy. I'm, a, I'm happy that you're alive. And 
as Matsuri is looking down at her and he looks at her lips, he's just like, uh? And uh, Ninukuru has, has, has defeated the enemies that uh, that uh, he and Poe were up against. He rushes up to go and assist his friend and he sees Matsuri and Suzu embracing and Poe's like, oh, oh my gosh, Matsuri is back to being a boy and they're having a moment. And then Ninokuru starts walking away and Poe is like, oh, oh, master. And Ninokuru is like, let's home, Ponosuke. I did my duty. I'm glad that Suzukanadi is safe. But what is this falling down my cheeks? <laughs> the girl that I like is with another dude. I must walk away coolly before I look pathetic. I do really like the, the, that moment. And I think that uh, Nino Kuru is gotten a lot more likable since he first yeah. showed up. Uh, so he leaves. Uh, Shirogane gets sick of Matsuri and Suzu being lovey-dovey with each other. And also the fact that Suzu is holding him while collapsing into Matsuri's chest means that he's squeezed between them. So he's like, stop cuddling! And by the way, just so you know, the Ginger Swap Awakened Jutsu is only gone temporarily. You're still a far cry from a happy ending. So, of course, Suzu has to process. That's where he's going to turn into a girl again, which we kind of knew from the get-go. But, um, And uh, Shirogane explains, the secret art has a lasting effect. The exact same amount of Ayakashi power that cast it is required to remove it. And Hinojiki devoured my power. So now it will be in effect forever. Um, and Shirogane seems to be of the impression that like that, you know, big form of his is gone for good. It probably isn't, but it's basically going to be gone for a while. So he says that, yeah, when the sun sets, that'll be around the time that the effect of the jutsu will return. So you should at least enjoy the last moments of being a boy again. So Matsuri is like, hey, Suzu, can you come with me? I want to do something that I can only do as a guy. And Suzu is blushing. And so they start walking off into the woods. And Suzu's like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And then Matsuri starts undressing. And Suzu's like, this is so embarrassing. But I'm going to do it. And she whips her jacket off. And then she looks over at Matsuri, who's gone under a waterfall to like meditate. And, and he's just like, yeah, I concentrate best when meditating under a waterfall in my, in my, when I'm in my underwear. And Suzu and Shirogane looks at Suzu and is like, why'd you take off your jacket? And Suzu says, I was getting warm. I, I like it because, um, oh, God, I can't remember the, the manga's name right now. Yep. Yabuki. Yabuki. Uh, his like, quote was like, I didn't think I would draw something like this and jump. But then I said, no, this is 100% what Suzu would do in this moment. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> I like the idea of like. Nah, she crazy thirsty for this guy, so she'd go for it. <laughs> I think I feel like getting that it, those insights from Kentaro Yabaki really do make us appreciate this series a bit more. It's like, hey, his daughter's really into the series, and also he's just like, you know, I don't know if I can get away with this. No, no, she's super thirsty for him. She would totally start shipping. <laughs> he's like, I don't know if I could draw a scene of a this girl getting ready to have sex. It's like. Nah, she thinks it's about sex. She's gonna go for it. <laughs> I mean, I just know her. <laughs> Suzu's reaction to how this goes out is just like, God, why does he have to meditate now? He does look really hot in that for <laughs> I do really love Suzu. Just like, you know, she knows what she's about. <laughs> she's into one thing exclusively. Oh, two. So, this and candy. That's like our two things. <laughs> so... 
Uh, Shiragane is kind of observing Suzu's behavior some more. And then he says, hey, I've got a favor to ask Suzu. Uh, Masuri is left to think to himself as he's meditating. And he, we basically get the insight of, yeah, he's here to meditate because he needs a cold shower right now. <laughs> because basically he realized when he was back in his, in his, in his male body and Suzu was that close and getting, and being that affectionate towards him, he realized certain things about her that he hadn't realized about Suzu before, which gave him the urge to kiss her. And he's like, I wasn't like this before. I never felt that way before about her. It was more like she was someone who was just special to me. Um, but after I became a girl, we spent time together and grew closer. And that let me get more familiar with her. And now I see her as Suzu as a girl. Suzu gets Matsuri's attention. Uh, and uh, Matsuri's like, why are you all the way over here? He's like, because fucking the waterfalls on you so you didn't hear me whatever so she's like hey shiragane asked me to become the king of ayakashi matsuri's first reaction is her t-shirt is what <laughs> uh, but then he reacts with you know the king of ayakashi what does that mean and shiragane explains in order to maintain order in the ayakashi world we need a situation where we need to avoid a situation where the king is absent i don't really want to partner with humans but suzu would be able to stand in my place until i regain my powers and maybe getting involved with ayakashi would lead to drawing out her powers as an ayakashi medium and suzu says i want to try it i feel like my powers have been getting stronger since we met shiragane and if i can draw out all of my skills as an ayakashi medium i might be able to return shiragane's powers and get him to turn you back into a guy you two saved me now it's my turn to save you two and Matsuri's left to think about this, and he thinks, I used to think if Suzu gained more powers, I would feel like she'd be really far from me, somewhere beyond my reach. But now, I'm not as worried, because I see Suzu as a girl. And he says, I'll help you too. It's dangerous if you do it alone, so take this. And uh, But he says to himself, Grandpa, I realize it now. I'm in love with Suzu. Um... I really, really like the fact that, like, while this conversation's happening, she's just using her powers to kind of create these fish out of water. Yeah. And just they're just swimming around her in this very ethereal and majestic scene. It really kind of helps to capture how kind of magical she seems and how she almost does kind of feel like this goddess where she's mm -hmm. creating this life around her seemingly without any challenge to it. It's almost unconscious to her at this point. It's, it's great for setting the scene. I mean, it's like reading this chapter is like, yeah, I see why Matsuri didn't love her before, but now he realizes he does. And it's a very logically laid out thing of like, hey, they've been through these things together. He's gotten closer to her because he had to be closer to her in order to protect her during all the stuff with Shiragane. And now that he's kind of had the shock of being back with, you know, the bits that react to her. Um, he has realized that like, oh, I actually am in love with her. And it, yeah, while this is going on, we get this big development of, oh, Suzu is going to have this very important place in the Ayakashi world, at least temporarily. So it feels like a bunch of big steps have been taken forward in this chapter. Anyway, after that, Suzu sees his junk and then his pussy. Uh, so... <laughs> 
shameless. She doesn't even really. She just kind of loses her footing in the water. And I then, need to grab something. This will do. Yeah, I mean, I guess he did establish it was the only clothes he's wearing. So just pulls it down and immediately catches an eye full of both. Just like because she because he turns back right as she's pulled the fundoshi down. So she sees one and then the sun goes down and Matsuri changes back. And so she sees the other and it's just like, okay. Yeah. And, and immediately we're back to like, you know, <laughs> dumb jokes with Shiragami being like, you're so scandalous. And Susie's like, I had water in my eyes. I couldn't see it. And Matsuri's like, she saw both of them. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Oh, poor Matsuri. Oh, and then, yeah, fucking art dude's just like, ho-ho-ho, very funny. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it's so weird, because it's like, this is such a good chapter through 20 pages, and then the last two is just like, by the way, Katari Yabaki's writing this series. By the way, we do still have a horny quotient to fill, so I'm sorry, but we do have to address this. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the chapter. I thought, um, this was a, a cool new direction. We were kind of worried before, like, I wonder if they changed the status quo. And it's like, no, we're not. In fact, if anything, this reinforces the status quo. But I, I, I also enjoy that this is kind of a romance series that, you know, 20 chapters in both leads have become very aware of the fact that they have these feelings. Yeah, and um, I think that and we've there's... seen the way those feelings have changed too. It's mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't just come out of nowhere. So. Yeah, and I do think that there is a a veteran presence in this series with Yabuki that that really mm-hmm. is noticeable in this series. There's a lot of very sharp sort of executions and uh, details that make this series feel very memorable and jump right now. So I, I actually been enjoying it like a lot these past couple weeks. Yeah, this this whole arc that's involved the 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 uh, uh that's involved Sosuke has was very strong from start to finish. And uh yeah, I mean like it's gotten to a point where now it's like, hey, there's this story that I'm actually kind of invest that I'm actually pretty invested in and there's these characters that I've grown to like. Um so, you know, it's just it's it's one of those series that's like, this is actually good, but it's going to be very difficult to recommend it to anyone. <laughs> yes, it's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible. Unless uh, there's a very particular crowd, but you know. Yeah. So. Uh, look, we all know we can recommend it to Steve, man. Let's not even try to lie. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and clearly a lot of people who listen to our show. But <laughs> uh, All right. So let's talk, Nick, about Black Clover now, page 272. Uh, is there a chapter? Dark prison Hunting Ground. Where the hell is the chapter it's title? It's on the cover page. Oh, right. There's a color page that this week. That's why, yeah. Page 277, Dark Prison Hunting Ground. Uh, that's actually a pretty cool color page as well. I like it. Uh, so we see, we open with Yuno, who is training, uh, shooting resend guns at a cliff wall when <laughs> Langris comes out and is just like, hey there. And, you know, throws the appropriate shade of like, oh, it's former Vice Captain Langris. He's like, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, first off. Unnecessary. Uh, And he's like, oh, hey, where's your stupid little noisy fairy? You know, it's like, she's holed up in my grimoire right now. Uh, She thinks she's figured out a way to defeat Xenon. 
he thinks this to himself. He doesn't say this out loud. I think I think I've worked out a way to do it, but that said, I can't confirm how effective it'll be. And he's just like, "Why are you here?" And Langris is just like, "Look, I thought you needed an opponent who had spatial magic, and since I'm already here, I shall help you train." You know, it's like, I don't really want your help, but this is a Golden Dawn's problem, and you've gotten stronger, right? So in that case, yeah, do help me. Langer's like, all right, fuck you. Again, don't know why I had to throw that in there, but all right, let's see if you've gotten any more agreeable. So, I love that, yeah. You know, takes the approach of like, I would prefer that if I that I didn't have to deal with you, but I guess you'll be helpful. So sure. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know why you didn't need to throw all those modifiers in there. You could have just said yes. I don't. <laughs> uh, we cut back to the training. Relying on, a, relying on someone who is a disgrace to the guild would kind of besmirch my reputation. But I suppose that I can tell you. All right. Yes. Thank you. Would have been OK. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need to thank you. Just none of the unnecessary dissing would have been really appreciated. I'm in a pretty low point right now. Uh, we we cut back to Asta and Sabretooth, who are losing yet again. They've lost yet another spar against Nature Boy Ric Flair. And Asta is just like, wow, he's really tough. No matter how many times we try to fight him, we can't figure it out. And we're probably, you know, he's probably not even fighting for real. This is the real power of double union. So uh, they have a, a basket full. Chris, he summoned all these dogs. And that's what happens, you know. When the big yacht, we're in the, you're in there with the. We're nearing the yard, and he's the big dog that runs that yard. <laughs> Do you ever think Undertaker was just like, man, I wish I could have gotten one more WrestleMania match in so I didn't end on the fucking American badass taker? No, <laughs> the, because obje- he was very happy with how that went down somehow. So That is objectively the worst taker that's out there. Fucking American badass Undertaker. Um, uh, there's, there's a worse. There's when he was already american badass he just wasn't called it yet and then he and it was very bad because mm. he was talking about riding bikes with big show into the desert and leaving him there so yeah i mean the entire biker taker phase is 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 a bad part you, you, you're including that in american badass yeah, gotcha. yeah. Okay. uh asked Rick- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Rick Flair. Asta crawls over to the bat basket of sensu bean cookies, has a couple of them, fills them back up with strength, and he's like, "Hey, wait a minute! I've got a really good idea." And Sabretooth has the way this that this reaction goes down. It's so perfectly because he he describes Asta perfectly yes. in this one sentence. Yeah, uh, Sabretooth says. When he gets like this, about 10% of the time, his idea is sheer genius. And Asta just goes, combine! And has Sabretooth on his shoulders. And Sabretooth's like, the other 90% of the time, it's crap. (laughs) And that's exactly what it is. He's like, if you ride on my shoulders, we'll be stronger. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, Nature Boy is just thinking, he's like, God, what's up with this, you know? And he has a flashback to somebody being like, hey, does it being such a goody-goody get tiring? And Nature Boy's like, what are you talking about, brother? Doesn't doing your own thing get tiring? Moron. What's tiring about being free? And we cut back to the present, and interesting, we haven't heard mention of a brother yet from uh, Mm. Nature Boy Ric Flair, so... Maybe this would explain his sudden shift in personality from that point in time. So he just says, it's about time to meet up with the rest. And I was like, oh, shit, it's already been two days. 
He's like, well, no choice then. If it's not going to work, then die here. Mana zone, dark prison hunting ground. And it's suddenly pitch black and Asta gets socked right in the face. And he's like, holy shit. I can't sense their key at all. There's no way for me to dodge their attacks in here. Nature Boy players just like, all right, you know, you did have potential. It's quite a shame. You know, keep slashing them, and there's this whole death is creeping on me. This is this is true terror. I can't see anything. Our backs are against death the wall. Death is creeping upon me from the darkness, and I can't sense a thing. This is true terror. Yeah, it is a great metal song, uh, and they just both in unison think why can't we unite if i'm going to save captain yami and if i'm going to avenge lasita i can't die and thus i can't let this guy die either and that you know tandem spirit of i now rely on this person to get stronger seems to unlock something and there's a glowing light in this dark prisons of darkness and we just see a single eye with a star-shaped mark in the middle of it at the end of the chapter. It's a relatively... I mean, like, the moment itself is pretty well executed. Mm -hmm. It does not seem to actually have been built up to in the previous chapters we've seen with uh, the two of them working together. And that's just kind of always been the problem with Black Clovers. Like, the pacing doesn't... always sometimes leaves something to be desired. I do like Asta and Leave having this thing going together, but it feels like we needed to actually see a little bit more of the combat training with Nacht in order to see the payoff here. Because it's just kind of like, they were training. It wasn't working. They realized they need to rely on each other when we never really had the impression that they didn't understand that after Asta formed the partnership with him. But, yeah. oh well. We're, we're here now. We'll see how cool the power-up form is. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of excited just to see the power-up. I think it was a good idea not to put it in this chapter give us some time to kind of like mm-hmm. savor it and get excited for like the new the new reveal form when we finally see it should be pretty exciting let's move on to one piece all my friends are here there they go now there they go uh by the way has one piece's logo on chapter title pages always been one piece one piece I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to bother checking back. I just, many to I to. feel like it has been, but I just only noticed it right now and it makes me laugh. It is a bit like, look, it's a very confusing title if you do, <laughs> with the anchor and the Luffy and the. What's Napak, Dick? Napik. <laughs> so. Chapter 996, Island of the Strongest. Last chapter ended with Otama showing up to save Nami's ass from page one, caping her skull in with a headbutt. Uh, And they are riding away on her dog lion mount thing uh, while Ulti basically just goes, Ow! Go kill it, Pei (laughs) Pei! And page one's like, Why me? You do it. (laughs) Fucking do it yourself! (laughs) God damn it! Usopp's not doing so well. You know, Cracked Skull will do that, I guess. Uh, Nami's the greatest fucking exchange, too. She's like, Usopp, are you all right? No, no, of course not. You're not all right. But let's focus on the positive. 
I'm fine. <laughs> it's such a great Nami line. <laughs> Sup, are you okay? All right, clearly not. But let's reestablish how we view this scene. I'm okay. <laughs> Would have been great if you could have just said that. <laughs> but now you can be happy for me for not having a skull that was head-butted by a Pachycephalosaurus devil-fruited person. Uh, she asks Otama how the hell they got there, which is a good question. And Tama says, we got to ride on the enemy's ship, which I'd be surprised to hear. Um, there is a baboon that's fighting with page one now. And of course, yeah, uh, that's one of Tom, Tama's other, uh, animal friends. Um, uh, Nami is worried, however, that that guy is not going to be enough to hold off, you know, page one and Nolte. But Thomas says, don't belittle his power, Onami. We came here as samurai. All right. Nice sentiment, I guess. She's six. She's allowed to. Yeah. She's allowed to, you know, be, you know, anyway. Uh, we cut over to Yamato, who is still trying to fight off the armored division. He's uh, having a tough go of it because clearly he's like stronger than all of them, but he has to keep on going back to defend Shinobu and Momonosuke. So he can't just fight freely. So he keeps on just kind of like going back to deflect their blows as in walking back over to where the, f- the shots are going towards Shinobu and just eating them instead. I mean, it would probably be better if you would like hit them back, but whatever. He's doing, okay. he's doing fine. He's just kind of smoky right now. Uh-huh. Uh, Shinobu's like, if you're a samurai, make up your mind. Abandon me and save Lord Momonosuke. And Yamato says, no. Kozuki Odin would never do that. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So he'd say for everyone because that's weird. Yeah. Um, the leader of the armored division, whose name I know, but I'm choosing not to say right now. Not ri- uh, rhymes with Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> now you know. So Zaraki's. <laughs> yep, it's pretty much it. Uh, he's like, you can't protect Deadweight and still defeat me. That, it's an insult that you think that way. I can't go losing my superb armored division. Uh, so Zaraki, his name is definitely not Sasaki, uh, <laughs> takes out his sword uh, and is about to attack Imato with it when Frankie comes running towards them. Well, uh, to just interrupt real not quick. Frank- no, it is. Um, before that happens, we see Yamato saying Sasaki as Saki draws the sword, and then there's a close-up on Yama- Yamato's mouth, and he has fangs. Yeah. And Sasaki has a moment where he just has like, oh, a, what? Yeah. So we don't know what that means to this point. Does Yamato have a double fruit, maybe? Maybe a mm-hmm. dragon fruit as well, or something like that? But it is interesting that we see that little tease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't catch that because One Piece pages are thick with detail. I didn't. I didn't catch it the first time. I thought that was Sasaki, who mm-hmm. we've seen oh, has, has, has sharp teeth. So I, I assumed it was the first time. Yeah, but uh, Sasaki's teeth go up, and yeah. these and the fangs go down in that shot. Yeah, Frankie in the Frankie Tank thing uh, is running away from uh, Hacha the giant, uh, and uh, someone's like, "What the hell are you doing here?" Um, and Yamato's like, oh, I knew who that is. That's Luffy's companion, Frankie the Cyborg. I've never seen anyone like him in my life. 
Hacha the giant tries to attack Frankie and Frankie realizes what's going to happen because he's like, just because you can't catch me doesn't mean you should do that. He's like, he knows like this is not going to hit me, but it is going to cave in the floor under me, which it does. (laughs) So giant hole in the floor happens, which sends Shinobu and Yamato and Momonosuke plummeting downward uh, along with Frankie and several members, at least of the armored division. Um, Yamato calls over to Frankie, who of course has no idea who he is. And he's like, Frankie, the cyborg, take care of this. Luffy put me in charge of these two. And Frankie's like, all right, sure thing. Whoever you are. (laughs) Sure thing. Person. (laughs) Uh, And then Yamato, as he's getting ready to do, as he's getting ready to just kind of like pass off Shinobu and Momonosuke and to, to Frankie is just like, Oh, I have to thank him. Just a moment. I can take out that one. And just, (laughs) does something (laughs) swings his mace, which sends this shockwave of some sort lancing up through the hole and it hits Hacha in the chin and uh, he goes down and Frank's like, how the hell do you do that? Um, And Hacha falls on some people, I think, I believe. So, yes. So it looks like we had a a fight switch already. It looks like it'll be Frankie going up against Sasaki. Yes. Which All does that. make sense if we if we establish that Sasaki is the leader of the armored division, then true, true. Uh, Yamato runs off. He's got Shinobu under one arm and and Momonosuke under the other, and he says to Momonosuke, "You must survive. It is imperative that you survive because you are the one who must guide the world to the dawn." Then we cut over to Law, who is fighting his way through a couple guards. And he makes his way onto the second basement floor where there is a poneglyph. And uh, he recalls some stuff that uh, Coruscant had told him. Uh, And he then recalls having a conversation with Robin about what his real name is. Trafalgar D. Water Law. And Robin's like, oh, so you have the name of D2. And Law's like, yeah, you're the only one I'm going to tell this to. And Robin's like... Well, okay, I mean, I'm glad you trust me, but I don't really have the answers for you. Luffy may not care, but I find the D name to be fascinating. So she says she has told him that the only way for him is to follow the red poneglyphs, which means being the four emperors. Uh And so Law comes up to a poneglyph and is like, no, it's not this one. I need a red one. And he says just to himself, Cora, I've made up my mind. I want to know the meaning of this checkered fate. Yep. Okay. Very interesting. It's cool. This has been, you know, a thing. He wasn't really looking into it, but now he has this conviction to follow the 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 story of the Poneglyphs now. Cut to another place to the third floor. Um we see Kid uh running with uh Killer. Mm-hmm. And uh he is just running through people. And just sucking up all their weapons <laughs> into this massive wave of scrap metal. He's got like all the metal in the castle trailing behind him now. And uh, he's like, you think this is enough? Killers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Killer's like, well, that's a good question. Our enemy is the world's strongest pirate. So you can't have too much. And gets like, yeah, good point. <laughs> we cut to the roof. Things have not gone well for the scabbards. Kaido's done a lot better now that he's I'm, made it smaller. I'm starting to think that they're not going to win, Nick. 
He's doing a lot better now that his body's smaller and there's not as much for them to wail on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knocking them all over. And uh, we just see one page of him kicking ass and then that's it. We cut away to somewhere else. To the Skull Dome on the performance floor, Big Mom has made her way over to where uh, everyone's chasing around Apu for, you know, the frost disease the, thing. The Isoni disease yeah. or whatever, yeah. Uh, but Big Mom says everyone kind of looks worried for a second. Don't worry, I'm only interested in going <laughs> up top where Kaido is. What a great moment. Everyone's like, oh my god, Big Mom. And then she just fucking flies through the scene. She's like, no, don't have time for all of you. Bye. <laughs> and then finally we cut over to the, to the second floor as Luffy is making his way with Jinbei and Sanji up through the tower. He's trying to make his way up to the roof where Kinemon is. And uh, then Sanji says, hey, do you guys hear that? And they're like, can't you hear it from the third floor? And they're like, hear what? And so from the first time I read this chapter, Chris, I was like, I'm going to need to ask Chris what the fuck this means. <laughs> so we just hear a memory from Sanji's perspective of stomp, tromp, stomp, tromp. Come, my dear. That's it. But my lord, you mustn't. It would be so naughty. And Sanji is like, Ugh. so. Um, so the assumption I have would be that it would be um, Black Maria. Uh, because we know at one point Sanji thought he was going off to where Black Maria was, this is like back before they started encountering other people, and we don't really know where her whereabouts are right now. So it would seem uh. to make sense Sanji zeroing in on her. I don't know enough about her, like, character though to know if any of that is true to who she is. Um, because we haven't heard or seen a ton of her. So I also don't know if this... I don't know who she would be referring to as my lord, unless that's where Orochi is for some reason. Like, he's still alive or, or something. I, it's it kind could, of tough to say. People in the chat are indicating it could have been part of her performance. It could have been. Uh, it, it also... Since, the, uh, since a lot of those are, you know, one-person, you know, performances, so they have to... So, like, if someone's putting on, like, a play, they play multiple parts. Mm-hmm. It very well could be. There's definitely something going on there, and I'm not 100% certain about it. Um, I, I know that there were some people in the Discord earlier who were really confused because there's a lot of things happening right now in One Piece, what? and, it's, no. and no. it's it's difficult to know where most of them are. So the main key details is Kaido's on the roof with the rest of the scabbards and he's pretty much defeated them at this point. That's also where cat Viper and dog storm are and they're so long forms. I don't know how much longer that's going to last. The third floor is where kid and killer are. They're leaving the third floor. Whatever Sanji's hearing is on the third floor. Jimbei, Luffy and Sanji are on the second floor heading up to the third floor. And then Basically, everyone else is on the first floor uh, or ground floor, so to speak. But they're in wildly not to die, right? And they're all in wildly different areas. Like Frankie is on the first floor. Lu uh, 
Dami and Usopp are on the first floor. Zoro, Chopper, and Robin are on the first floor. None of those characters are with each other, basically. Uh, Law is in the second basement, and then Yamato fell into the basement, but we don't know if there's two levels, it seems, of the basement. So yes. I don't know if they fell all the way straight down to the bottom, or if they fell into that. Um, as for villains, we we know Queen is watching the Ice Oni thing from, like, a platform on the first floor. I don't know if it counts that they're on a higher floor or not. We don't know where King is. Presumably he's on a higher floor, but we're not sure. We don't know where Who's Who is. We don't know where Hawkins is. And I don't think we know where Blackberry is. But I, I could be wrong about some of those other details. It is very difficult to remember where everybody is. Presumably most of these will only actually be relevant when they show up. Um... But yeah, it's it's kind of a mess at the moment. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I that's why in my mind I would be like, I would assume it would be Black Maria that Sanji's hearing. But as I said, what she's saying doesn't necessarily line up with what I remember about her character. So, I mean, who knows? She could, uh, she could have a flying devil fruit. I mean, there's only five in existence, but she could have one had flown up here. She was like on the ground floor before. But at this point, who knows? There is a map. There is a map, but unfortunately, there are too many fucking characters to actually put on the map so you could keep them all in track. If if Oda drew like a little like 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 the devil bats would sometimes draw like little faces to show where everybody was on the field and shit like that, he can't do that because there's like six fucking there's sixty characters in this fucking like situation, so you can't keep track of all of them. All right, Let's good chapter up for this week. <laughs> Chris, what was your favorite series? Who is your MVP? Hmm. God damn. I'm sorry. I just looked at what the audience picked. Um, favorite of the week, I'm going to give to... Fuck. I think I might give it to Ayakashi Triangle. I don't want to. No, I don't want to give it to Ayakashi Triangle. I'll, I'll have Suzu as my character of the week. But chapter of the week, I guess I, I guess I give it to Mashal, even though it wasn't the strongest chapter this week. I think it's probably the one I guess I like the most. You know what? Have... I, I, actually, I might change that. <laughs> I think it's Eden Zero now that I say it out loud. Because I'm thinking of all the chat. No, nah, fuck it. I'm going with Mashal. What, what was, that, was, that was crazy talk for a moment. I'm sorry, guys. Ninja X3i with his hand <laughs> over the buttons. Of, <laughs> uh, I am going to go with Ayakashi Triangle myself. Okay. Uh, I understand why you don't want to. It's like those last two pages. Re- <laughs> like you read through the chapter and you're like, "Wow, what a great chapter!" And then you turn the page to the last bit and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> but. This was not a particularly strong week of individual chapters, and that, I felt, was, except for the ending, an exceptionally good one. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can can pick that one and only feel a little bit bad about it. (laughs) It made me laugh because I was looking over our results. I was like, why did I pick the mobile lab last week? And I was like, all right. Do you really believe it was a crew member, Chris? Because I don't know if you do. It is, man. <laughs> well, I had to remember, I was like, who's Mobile Lab? Is that not a Bachelor character? 
<laughs> it's like a quiz we could have at the end of the year. Was this an invention in Dr. Stone or a minor character in Mashal? Well, it's called motor, motor, uh, motorbike, but that could be either. <laughs> Rubber tire, I mean, come on. <laughs> it sounds like it would be an invention, but it sounds like a pretty good Mashal name, too. <laughs> Steam drill, God. <laughs> so, uh, my character, my character of the week. Oh, all right. Uh, da 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 da. Hang on, I'm going through this real quick. Um, I'm gonna go with Rio. Uh, from okay. Mashal. Uh, he made what I felt was actually a pretty strong impression, and I like how. He's not really an ally to MASH, mm-hmm. but he has a worldview that's extreme enough that he's like, I'll give this guy a chance to prove himself by doing something that's basically impossible. And since MASH regularly does impossible things, it's like, well, that worked out for him. Yeah. And you could tell afterwards, it's like, maybe he doesn't seem to actually really care about MASH's agenda or him being punished. He's just like, oh, this guy's interesting. Yeah. And uh, so I, I like that. And I also did think that it was cool to go from easygoing to imposing back to easygoing yeah all he needs is uh squinty snake eyes need be the perfect who can he really trust this character character uh the audience uh picked fucking sakamoto days as their chapter of the week because they have no taste and then they couldn't they almost got it right for character of the week because it's suzu but then it fucking tied with sakamoto so i don't know i guess everybody fucking loves the, the fucking fat quiet character because that was really what enchanted them this week so there's a tie every fucking so thanksgiving went, so you did go with suzu for yeah uh, I, I i went with suzu for my character all right under definitely <laughs> i, I grok that yeah. no everyone enjoyed it i'm very happy for him all right they're wrong but i'm happy for him uh that is gonna do it for weekly manga recap thank you guys for uh, joining us we record the show wednesdays uh in the evening around seven to eight eastern time uh however you can stay updated on exactly when we start the show by checking us out pardon me on twitter uh that's uh at tbmr podcast for the official podcast account your hosts are at reload c and at nick f time and record it right here twitch.tv slash reload c we also use the WMR Discord to send out an update when we start the show, and that's just a great place to come in, hang out, talk about the manga as the manga recommendations as we're reading through them, the uh, chapters as they come out on usually Sundays, generates a lot of discussion, and also we have a community uh, Among Us games on yep. Saturdays. It's been a regular thing for the last several weeks. Which theoretically, I'm, I I may get to do more of this week since I may have to cancel all my D and D stuffs after this one. Okay. I've already yeah. kind of preemptively canceled it. I have no idea how busy Black Friday is going to be because the weeks leading up to it have been the to- like suspiciously quiet. <laughs> so it might mean that people are smart and aren't going to come out for it. But I, I don't, don't have means that. I don't have a ton of faith in that. <laughs> Uh, we want to give special thanks to people who support us on Patreon. We create bonus content for you guys to enjoy on there. Uh, and uh, to people who help us make the show what it is, NinjaX3i maintains the Google Doc that uh, lets us keep track of a whole bunch of statistics associated with the show. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the year. And uh, if you want to vote on like year-end supplemental awards and, and stuff like that, you can check that out on the WMR Discord. Uh, we also want to thank our target artist, Steve Mann. 
Infamous Planet for creating the frameworks for the visual edition of the podcast, and uh, Milo Jack Stilitz and Wizzdale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence for for a weekly manga recap. Mm-hmm. So, time has come to, to name my recommendation that we're going over. So, Chris, uh, we're not really sure <laughs> for certain if We Never Learn is going to end, oh. but we do know that it is probably ending sometime soon so i felt that it was a it would be a good opportunity for us to do a comparative study why not and go over a series that also features a harem with five love interests which is why i have chosen the quintessential quintuplets for us to go over uh, according to the recommendation that uh, has been dropped in uh the google doc Apparently, it's not actually very similar at all to, to We Never Learn. So, we'll see how that holds up. Oh, okay. There we go, I guess. Quintessential quintuplets. That's the manga we're going to talk about. All right. That's what we're going to be talking about then. Next time. Or several weeks from now. Probably Who knows? a few weeks from now. It's, 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 a, it's over 100 chapters. <gasps> so, so, coming up sometime soon on Weekly Manga Recap. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, what? What? No. Why did you? Uh, like the Terminator sound effect in there. I don't know why. Because we can? Who's going to stop us? Fucking James Cameron? He's in a fucking, like a bathosphere at the fucking bottom of the ocean. The fuck, right we'll never now. know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably fucking penning out avatars 17, 18, and 19 that no one wants to watch. <laughs> There were 15 other avatars. <laughs> I think they're planned. How long do, How long have I been sleeping? <laughs> Nick, our world's made of chrome. It is? 